the 911 Calls Podcast with the operator and his senior assistant, Jack Luna. I can't see the front. I can go out the front, but if I go out the front, I'm bringing a shotgun with me, I swear to God. Okay. I am not going to let him get away with it. I can't take a chance on getting killed over this, okay? No. I'm going to shoot. I'm going to shoot. Stay inside the house and don't go out there, okay? Oh, hello, Luna. Hey. How are you? <laughs> Good, yourself? I love saying that. <laughs> After an hour and 12-minute uncut, I love saying, how are you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man, that was a crazy one. I just stopped crying, so <sighs> that's how I am. Yeah. yeah. I Actually, I haven't to. even stopped really yet. I still have to like dry my eyes a little bit. It's weird. <laughs> Check out our our Patreon. We do uncuts. This is not. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a. We're trying to push people toward Patreon and all that, but we really do let it rip on the Patreon so that we don't get too deep into particular things on the uh, public version. We want to stick to the case. Yeah, yeah. We want to get into it, which um, <laughs> I'll admit I might have uh, gone a little long in the tooth <laughs> on the script on this one before we even get to the call. But know that now. Bear with me. <laughs> Uh, it's a fun ride. <laughs> so, <laughs> Can't wait. Oh, uh, gosh. Hey, also on a side note, if you haven't listened to True Crime Kent, A, you should do that. I believe it's one of the best shows we have, yeah. and I love this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, True Crime Kent. Not enough people have gone over there to check out True Crime Kent. That's the operator and our our good buddy Kent Chungus. Kent, Kent really goes deep on his research. If you think you've heard Ed Kemper before, he did a three-part series where he went so deep. And uh, I covered Kemper myself, and I learned a lot of things from it. And just having the two of you break it down, I do a cameo on each episode. So uh, great. check out True Crime Kent if you are True looking Crime for podcasts Kent. while we're in between episodes. And Kent and I have actually talked about um, doing we, – we, we've, we've kind of been on military – kind of schedule with true crime kent like Mm -hmm. uh you know kent is very dedicated to the scripts and and it just became pretty apparent at the beginning when we started doing it that like i'm sort of a jibber jabberer like i remember it was like episode two and uh we started our zoom call which is how we see each other while we record and we hadn't yet hit record or maybe we had it might even be on the raw uh, Mm -hmm. tracks somewhere but i remember i was like Cantor, are you much of a car guy? He's like, oh, yeah, I know my way around a car. I was like, yeah, so I've got a 99 Suburban, and it's doing this ticka, 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 ticka kind of thing. He's like, he's like, yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, I'm. Uh, you ready to start? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, like, oh, okay. <laughs> and you, but, yeah. yeah, we've gotten to the point now. You and I were talking the other day. We were like, maybe we do an uncut Uh an uncut for true crime Kent. And instantly I was like, I don't know if Kent wants to have that with me. Uh, you reached out to Kent and Kent was like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that sounds like, so maybe I've grown on him Oh yeah, and he knows that I've also resolved my automotive problem. So yeah, he's good. willing to give it a shot. <laughs> the thing, the thing with Kent, for those who don't know is that, well, he hates this, but like, he's a veteran. Right. He yeah. was a Marine. He hates when he doesn't want to be uh, identified just as that. But I mean, the guy, the guy's like legit American hero type. Yeah. Right. He is. 
and kind of no nonsense. And what happens, and I know this with your situation that you talked about right there, is that he really goes hard on that research. Oh and man. What's happening with him is that he's he's filled to the brim with that research and he's like, I got no time for this like titter tacky tacky yeah. talk. Are we recording? <laughs> because like I got like all this stuff I need to you know get out of my system. I gotta get it out. It's almost yeah, like he's... an exorcism, you know? <laughs> like he's It really is. Yeah. It really is. And, and you know, for me, uh when I write a script for nine one one, I've written the script and I, I don't think about it again until I have to yeah. do it. But he yeah. he is so engrossed in the story, mm-hmm. which honestly is one of the reasons why I think it is such an amazing show. Also, really quick, Jack, and I don't mean to freak you out. Look behind you on the wall at the light yes. that's reflected on your whiteboard. I see it. It looks like church windows. It does. It's not the... You know the way it's kind of shaped like the points it and does. the light? Why is it doing that? That's cool. Actually, Are the you door's like, almost And closed. then you have a black curtain, like you're taking children behind it and blessing them with some... That have been blessed in multiple ways. Crazy. Yeah. No. Anyway, never noticed how uh, church-like your little box there is. You know what? It looks like, um, what are those? Oh, yeah. It also looks like rock and roll horns. Rock and roll horns, which I hate. Yeah, it does. Freaking rock on. Anyways, let's, let's, let's rock on with this uh, long-ass script. All right. <clears throat> hey, Luna. Hey, hey, man. How's it going? Good. Hey. Hey, have you ever heard of an RV? Yes. Yeah, right? Like... In your opinion, like, tell me the demographic. Like, like who, who buys RVs? <laughs> who buys them? I don't know. People who can't afford cottages, <laughs> but can't afford vehicles. Pe- people who are, uh, who have, who want to go into debt for something that kind of resembles freedom. Yeah. Yeah. So there's probably two, right? You <laughs> that was so on the nose. <laughs> That was amazing. We should actually write that down and put it on a shirt. Sell it to RV owners. <laughs> I <laughs> went into debt. You like freedom or something? You don't mind that? Seems like freedom. There's an RV. <laughs> oh, so but there's probably two camps. There's probably like five camps. But the main two camps would be people that buy an RV to literally live in it. They would show up somewhere, pay rent on a little property and skirt the RV, you know, because it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. There's those people. And then there's this other class of people where based on the price of the RVs that these people are buying, you couldn't afford it by selling your house. You right. couldn't afford it. Right? Yeah. So typically the demographic of these people is they've either A, sold everything and they're committing their life to be this this uh, transient, you know, vehicle-driven lifestyle. <laughs> and they, they're all in. Or they are severely retired, severely well off, and they can afford somewhere starting at three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars and then it just goes crazy from there. I mean you could spend two million dollars on it. Well the prices day. have gone up since the pandemic too. People are looking for freedom. I mean you could sell an old rowboat with holes in it for like five yeah. grand at this point. Anything that it's represents true. freedom from society and individualism or whatever, it's gone through the roof. I've started selling our uh, rowboats with holes in them, <laughs> but I I just go by their initials. So I say, hey, I'm an RB dealer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rowboat RB. Do you want to buy an RB? It can set you up for freedom. Oh, man, no, I don't have $400,000. What are you talking about? My RBs start at $45. <laughs> and 
RB, I'm the only, I'm the exclusive RB dealer in the state. (laughs) Have water, will travel. (laughs) Yeah, man. RB Uh, dealers, they're they're going to start popping up, I bet. They are. They really should too, especially around around bodies of water. (laughs) What's got (laughs) off too is those little sheds that people get built and it costs them like $500 to build a little shed. Yeah, like buying those up just to like have like a little spot they can go on their back. It's an outhouse. They're selling you an outhouse. Literally. And you're like, yeah. oh, I got a second house on my property. <laughs> I believe Kent bought one actually. He Kent did. bought one he and he was like, guys, I bought a I bought a, a, a shed. And I was in my head, I was like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and then I saw it and I got shed envy. Yes. Yeah, so like, I. you know, I was like, oh man, I want a shed. I I work in a six by nine box. I believe uh people in during the reign of Constantine, were put in bigger boxes than this in prison. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> so they you were. know they were, and they weren't lined like a diaper either. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the RV. I mean, like I, yeah. I know you have a story here to tell, but like the I've been in RVs. Have you ever gone on a trip in one of those? It's like hell. Yeah. It depends on who you're with. Depends on it, who you're it, with. You're in close quarters for sure. Mm-hmm. Plus navigation, plus gas, plus, oh. you know, secure, at batten down the hatches before you start driving. Uh, fun fact to know and share. This will blow your mind. Maybe you already knew this about me. I think you did. But uh, in 2014, mm-hmm. I started a marketing agency. No, not, well, okay. I was the marketing arm. Man, you started so many marketing agencies. I know. But okay, so I was the marketing arm in a new a startup that I started with a guy that we realized there was a niche uh, in the RV industry. So we we started this this business called RV Masters. He had bought an RV and then rolled off the lot astonished uh, at how easy it was to roll off the lot. So do you, do you know? Uh, Jack, do you know how extensive the training is to be able to operate an RV? I do. Keep, okay. Yeah. Keep in mind that an RV averages about, let's say, 33 feet in length, contains a whole house, sits yeah. 12 feet in the air, has up to 10 wheels, and a diesel engine that is often used in semi-trucks, right? So, so with that being said, how much training do you have to take in order to drive your new $400,000 vehicle? I think that you just need to be able to drive your own family crazy to be able to drive an RV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Commercial truck drivers, just as contrast, they mm-hmm. have to have a CDL. Like it's a, or I don't know what it is in Canada, although it starts with a C, so maybe they call it a Canadian driver. CDL, something like that. What do you call it there? Well, if you're a professional like truck driver, what, what kind of license do you have to have? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. I want to be a truck driver at one point. I don't know. I don't pay attention. I don't even see myself as a Canadian, man. I'm a... I'm not even a citizen of the world. I'm just some guy trying to get by over here. I don't pay attention. You're an island. You're the walrus. I'm a walrus. Okay, fine. Okay, we'll call it a CDL. We'll call it, in every country, there's something like a CDL. So guess what they call the license you need to drive an RV, though? Uh, A driver's license? Like your regular driver's license? (laughs) That's it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, So we built this whole company. That's crazy. Uh, called RV Masters around training. Um, and we charged like three grand to six grand for training because all we had to do 
was go on these lots and get, get the RV dealership on board, obviously, right? Because they there is no responsibility that an RV dealership has beyond no. a quick tour, which could last as little as a half hour before they hand you before they hand an 80-year-old keys <laughs> to drive off the lot, right? So they have to just do this quick tour, like here's your fridge. Uh, all we had to do to get people to actually buy into our training program was to say, hey, did you know that your uh, your fridge can start your whole RV on fire? And they're like, <laughs> they're like, how? And I'd be like, well, that's part of our training. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I'll take the training. And we would roll it into their uh, their whole loan. Nice. So what's what's three grand on four hundred thousand? You know. Yes. So they and then they would get this extensive training, what a which scam, was actually bro. good scam. Totally, totally. It was actually it's not a scam. It's peace of mind training. Is really what it is because it doesn't have any wherewithal. Like it doesn't have any weight to it. And there is nothing. There is nothing that puckers you faster than trying. Like I did it. I got behind. I got behind the wheel of an RV. And just drove around a neighborhood, <laughs> twelve feet in the air. You don't realize how low lying, like n- the neighbors' trees are, or the street lines, how they don't maintain things properly. Yeah. And you hit a tree with the top of your RV, you just caused yourself three to five thousand dollars worth of damage. You could take off the air conditioning. You and I mean, <laughs> I don't want this to be a, a seminar on take by my training, but. Holy crap. We we had people coming out of the woodwork to buy this stuff. Yep. Um, you want to know how that story ends? Sure. Uh, so my my business partner at the time, uh, he's now, I believe he's out on bail. Uh, and in December, he has a jury trial for uh, a whole bunch of like uh, uh, sexual contact con- Con- misconduct with a minor oh, so God, that's glad. how that one ended <laughs> sounds like those could be my charges in the future too oh, freaking knock on wood <laughs> knock on the rv door that's how that happened i'll tell you <laughs> he'd go on trips without me that's how that happened anyway i digress all right okay um you know but sometimes the world is they're willing to just hand us objects that we shouldn't have any business receiving without some level of training or instruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd put 80-year-olds behind the wheel of a 26,000-pound rolling mansion on that <laughs> list. For sure. You know, that was the motivation behind my company. And that's, I made a lot of money off of them because all you have to do is show them, oh, your investment is this at risk if you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, I was beating them away with the stick. I was beating 80 year olds with the stick. <laughs> They're like, take my money. And I was like, beat, beat, beat. <laughs> and they have thinner skin on their head, so they'd bleed quicker. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, okay. <laughs> I want to couple that. I want to, <laughs> I want to couple that with uh, today's word of the day. Um, mm-hmm. which is hubris. Oh, yeah, hubris. Uh, <coughs> yeah, hubris, hubris. Sure. So, so it's a Greek word, but etymologists say that it was first used in 1884, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but this isn't a language podcast because I'm pretty sure Greece was around before 1884, yeah. but for the sake of this conversation, we'll say Greece was founded in 1884, mm-hmm. and so was the word hubris, 
Also, Nietzsche really liked to use the word hubris in his writing. So check out Nietzsche when you have a moment and oh, it'll God. change your life. And then you'll have to unchange your life after you get too deep into Nietzsche. But, yeah. you know, that's another uh, podcast. Also. It's hard to understand. So it might not change your life at this point. I tried writing, yeah. reading Nietzsche <laughs> when I was like 15 years old and gave up pretty quick. Yeah. So I, I really like the Greek definition of the word hubris, which is actually a Greek word anyway. Okay, meaning that we haven't taken a Greek word and modified it to our own dialect mm. like pretty much every other word in our version of the English language. Right. So the Greek definition of hubris is the intentional use of violence to humiliate or degrade and so that reminds me a little of the upgrade to aggravated for crimes. You know, you think about it, you can commit a crime, but when you intentionally do something to humiliate or degrade, they add aggravated to it. So hubris is that mindset of, I could rob a house, but I could also step on your neck and hurt you really bad while I'm robbing a house. That's that's hubris. It's it's I'm doing this because... I've got power, right? Yes. There's um, a podcast I was listening to recently. It's funny you brought up hubris. That's why I reacted to it so strongly immediately. Because um, I, 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 I grab onto sayings that I think I could possibly use in the future. And it was uh, Julius Caesar said, it's only hubris if I fall. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the most hubristic statement yes. ever. <laughs> Oh, Julius. I believe he fell. I could be <laughs> wrong about eventually, that. Eventually, yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. He had a really brutal ending. <laughs> um, Brutus, yeah, gotcha. No, I agree. You know, that that's. it sounds like something that somebody, it, it almost makes you wonder if he understood the word hubris so well <laughs> that he was saying that as kind of tongue in cheek. That's, you know? what I, that's what I think. I think, I think he did. Because he was no dummy. No, he was no dummy. Obviously, what he's saying is, you know, like I'm only full of s word. Yeah. If, if you know, I'm proven to be. So, right. You know, history. Me. History has to prove that I'm full of s word. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I like to think of hubris as kind of the opposite of that old saying that says, like, character is what you do when nobody's looking. Yeah. Like when nobody's looking, or you think nobody's looking. The way you act is your true, you know, your true character. Yes, putting the cart back. Yeah, put the cart back. Right, exactly, that kind of thing. So hubris to me is the opposite of this. Sort of like how you act when you are given ultimate power is hubris or your level of hubris, right? Mm. Like we'd, we'd all like to believe that we're given, if, if we were given total power over other people or power derived through like, let's say, maybe money or status, that we would be good and benevolent. I mean, how many times have you heard people say, well, if I had, if I had a lot of money, it wouldn't change me. <laughs> yeah, no, those people never are going to get money, so I've got to worry about it. Yeah, yeah, right. In most, case, in most cases, though, they're right. Money doesn't change them. They are still bad with money. Yeah. <laughs> That's, sure. you know, mm-hmm. kind of the... So hubris defines how we act when we feel... Like there will be no consequences, regardless if people see it or not. Right. Uh, you know, that being said, there there are good people where hubris isn't their downfall. They're kind, maybe compassionate, and they forgive people. But often, hubris is a monster inside of each of us, just waiting for us to get enough power to feed it, to unleash it. Right. 
So in other words, hubris is the powerful person who forgot the little people that got them to the top. Uh, or the lessons from a mentor when one becomes a master. Right. Uh, or ignoring the warnings of your God or sidestepping the layout of the laws in your land, you know. That's yeah. all hubris. The worst form of hubris, I think, is when you know so precisely what you should not do, but you are supremely aware that with the power you hold, you can't be touched if you do the things that you shouldn't do. Right. I agree. You know? Willfully ignorant. That's, uh, I've seen a lot of people like that for sure. Yeah. I mean, life's kind of full of those, you know, I mean, pick a politician. That, that's yes. hubris. Yes. Uh, I did not inhale, you know, <laughs> you mean wipe it with a cloth? You know, yeah. they know they can't get caught. They know they're bulletproof. So yeah. Cypress Hill had a line on that, was it? Go tell Bill Clinton to go and inhale. Uh, I think that was in, <laughs> yeah, insane in the membrane. Tell Bill Clinton Man. to go and inhale. Anyways, the, the, the legal level of hubris, I'd say, is uh, you got enough money, your your lawyer can get you out of anything, mm-hmm. you know? And that's that's like super hubris, yep. I would say. All right. So now based on what we've covered so far in this episode, RVs and the word hubris, what do you think today's call's about? Oh, God, I don't know. Somebody you smoke somebody with an RV and I don't know, act yeah, like they, no. they shouldn't have been in their way because they're a big badass machine with a big badass man behind that big badass wheel. Beep, yeah. beep. That's a good story. It's about gun control. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, it, it, the guns are involved, but they're involved in every one of our cases almost. Right. So uh, I just thought I'd throw you off there for a minute. You did. Uh, I thought I'd throw you off there for 33 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, d- hubris does play into this. And also... I own guns and I, I feel like I'm a responsible gun owner, but you know, this one, this one covers people that, uh, I will say have a high level of hubris and they own guns, right? Just dummies. All right. So we're going to share two different accounts today, one from Texas and one from the UK. Both stories are of people who say they were protecting themselves and property from thieves. And off the front here, I want to state that these two cases, they're very pivotal and many citizens and even governments have kind of drawn their own lines in the sand as to how they translate the goings on in these two cases. I got to say, though, by the time I was done with the research on this one, I was already sick and tired of it. So many opinions, so many viewpoints, and I believe all of them have a grain of reason to them. However, these two situations just can't be taken as black and white. So yeah. I believe I would cause a nuclear meltdown if I was like, tell us your opinion in the comments. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Just uh, walk away from this. One. Yeah. <laughs> just walk away. And you, you, when you and I talk off, off uh, microphone, uh, you're worried about like your people thinking that you're like this gun toting conservative, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And you're trying to push your views across and, you know, the operator clearly is a gun toting conservative, <laughs> but like <laughs> Who he, pushes his views on <laughs> his intention isn't to like impose his, his, his views on these particular uh, matters onto everybody else. Uh, honestly, the operator is very open-minded and, and you, you were, you were talking to me like you were, vocalizing that that you had some concerns about this particular case because it went in that area 
and that yeah. we might be going too far into certain people feeling like this isn't for me. This is a gun-toting conservative style podcast. Yeah. And the fact that you even said that says to me that that is not, obviously, I knew it already, but it's not your intention. There's no agenda here. No, and I'll say, I, uh, you know, in four more paragraphs or so, I think mm-hmm. I give my opinion and I keep it very brief. And uh, we were talking about this before, uh, I think even before the uncut, we were talking about how in researching and finding 911 calls, it's become, uh, I, I said that I longed for the days of episode one, two, and three when we were covering like Travis, the celebrity chimp, because there was no politics around no. Travis, you know, and that was like a, that was like what, a year, two years ago? Probably. Um, I, I said that if Travis, the celebrity chimp, happened now and it happened way back early 2000s right yeah so uh if that happened now that'd be nice the 911 call would come out and everything but the the headline of it would be about animal control Mm -hmm. or PETA would be on the front lines of it It, it, like everybody sinks their their fangs in in a different way now. And so doing research and finding 911 calls that aren't political or pivotal or it, this or that, that are just terrible. At this point. It's, it's really hard. And finding the actual story that's worth telling so we don't come across as just, you know, saber rattling yeah. drum bangers is, is becoming harder and harder because we've both become super successful and we're not these <laughs> oafish simpletons that we were. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, let's let it rip and see how it goes. Okay. Uh, All uh, right. It should be good, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, get ready for the one stars. <laughs> no, it's, it's going to be good. Okay. Hey, Luna. Hey, hey, Luna. Hey. Hey, did you know that Canada has a stand your ground law? Well, as you might assume, it depends on where you live as to how the law is applied. But did you know that Canada has a stand your ground law? Nah, I didn't know that. I thought it was just Texas or wherever that happens. Right. That's the only place anybody thinks that there's a standard is friggin' Texas. Um, actually, yeah, it does. So, uh, like I said, depends on, on where you live, but like in Ontario, oh, that's for where example, I'm from, man. Okay. Ontario. Good things sure. grow in Ontario. Is that a song? Yeah, that's their thing. Good how does it, how does it, how does it go? Good things grow in Ontario. I loved that. I'm crying again. <laughs> I have to find more opportunities to try to make you sing songs. Why have I not done this? I'm a great singer. Oh, man. Okay, well. In Ontario, where good things grow, oh, uh, <laughs> jurors are not permitted to consider whether an accused uh, person could have retreated in the face of an attack. Now, you'll notice this as a accused person because a stand-your-ground law means that somebody shot somebody and they're trying to defend themselves, saying, hey, I was defending my life or my property. So in the way that Ontario uh, defines that person is they're the accused because you shoot somebody, you're going to, you're going to go to court right. about it. Mm-hmm. So they're the accused. But in Ontario, it says that jurors can't be permitted to consider whether they could have retreated as an option in the face of this attack that they said they were under. There you go. Or a threatened attack by an assailant. They can't use, well, could they have retreated as, a, as an excuse 
to convict them. Gotcha. They, they can't use it. In British Columbia, juries Uh-oh. are permitted to consider available lines of retreat in deciding whether an accused has no other option mm. than to defend himself. So if you think about it, in, in BC, the jury could be sitting there looking at like an aerial view map of where this situation took place. And they could be drawing like red arrows saying, well, they could have escaped here. Yeah. They could have, you know, they could have ran this way. They could have hidden that glove box, you know, so they're allowed to do that to factor in whether or not, uh, self-defense was used, uh, qualified. You'll check, check, check this out up. You'll, you'll be interested to know this. So for American listeners or worldwide listeners, whatever, BC is like the California of Canada. Oh, really? And Ontario is like the New Jersey <laughs> of <laughs> Canada. Uh, okay. And then Alberta, which I think you're probably going to talk about here in a minute, is like the Texas of Canada. Yes. Oh, and it lines up because in Alberta, they're super unique amongst Canadian jurisdictions because they afford civil immunity to occupiers who employ force. So an occupier would be somebody who occupies their home or their premise or their property. Could be your car, could be, you know, anything. Actually, uh, Alberta just added your car as a place you could be occupying during a, an event. Right. Uh, but they they um, give you civil immunity. <laughs> If you're occupying and defending your home or other preferences, mm-hmm. uh, premises. premises, yeah, yeah. Um, so, New Jersey might be wrong for Ontario, maybe more like New York, but I, I feel more like New Jersey. Yeah, it's probably it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, New Jersey. I'll tell you what. You know who has some of the strictest gun laws in the United States? New York and New Jersey. Like oh, really? it's so hard to get a. A gun permit to own you know a gun. why probably because of all the past um mafioso Mafia. influence yep. yeah i think it must be that you know being somebody that i don't know i try to follow the law and own a gun and i probably never shoot it at anybody in my lifetime i hope knowing that uh criminals don't give a crap about gun laws that it kind of <laughs> i'm like wow that seems to leave a lot of people exposed but you know there's two sides to that story and this is not for that well the the good thing about new york or new jersey or ontario is that they're all criminals so you don't got to worry about that too much (laughs) that's true no one is safe in new york oh my gosh all right so uh so i would just sum that up as like like in past podcasts know your laws of your province canadians yeah um you know and where you where you live, Jack, I would say you're probably probably spot on. Just using mops, and, uh, jars uh, of uh, jalapeno peppers, smash yes, the and, eyes. You know, a stiff uh, ladle. Yeah, baseball you know. bat broken. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to get my personal view out of the way here right. at the start. Know your laws, obey your laws, and protect yourself within whatever reasonable means that you feel comfortable in your own sphere and capability. And practice so that if the rare circumstance arises where you need to defend yourself, your actions will be like a muscle memory and you can leave pride out of the equation. Pride is noisy. And even in situations where we're feeling amped about protecting our spouse or our children or the stuff that we recently bought at Costco, pride doesn't have a playbook. It's willy-nilly by nature. So because pride only fuels emotion. That's all pride does. Now, I have, I, 
I, I said I avoid pride in defending yourself and your stuff, not fear. Because I think fear is healthy emotion. Yeah. But it shouldn't be confused. Although it often is confused with surprise, the more you practice, the more prepared you become. And surprise is minimized when it really counts. The way we respond to fear and surprise are extremely different. Opt for fear plus routine as opposed to surprise plus reflex. So you should go with surprise. Surprise. Surprise is the worst. <laughs> if all you do is, is, is respond through surprise, then you're going to get killed every <laughs> single time. Okay. You are. You are. Dude, I don't know about you. I'm already tired. Are we done yet with this I one? I know. God, is there uh, a call? Yeah. All right. So good, good question. Here's the backstory on the first case. The year is November and the day is 2007 of the 14th. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm trying to make that a new fad where we mix it up. Oh, God. Man. You know, Come date on. wise. Come on, dude. Okay. We find ourselves in the quaint Texas town of Pasadena, where around 150,000 Texans call home. It's Caddy Corner. To Houston. All right. Is it a kitty corner? I don't know. Whatever. Cats up, fun, catch up. I don't know what's going fun, on here. Funny, funny you'd mention that. I just want to hear a funny phone call. You'd mention that because do, do you know do you know where we get kitty corner? I feel like we talked about this before. Go ahead. It comes from a word uh called cater corner. And cater corner means to be at an angle from. Okay. And because we're dumb and we'd retranslate everything into weird words, it became kitty corner after a certain time. Caddy corner, I threw in there just so that you would notice talk that about I was saying something okay. wrong and then I could so talk good. about more etymology. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man, the I way I the manipulate bait. these. I hate, I hate myself for it. You know, I hate myself right now, too. I hate the whole freaking <laughs> podcast right now. I just want to go take the garbage out, drink myself yeah. to death. Caddy corner from your house. Okay, so, well, Pasadena, 150,000 Texans, call it home. Uh, it's caddy corner from Houston and just about a few bays that lead out into the Gulf of Mexico is what Pasadena is. Cool. Uh, Pasadena and its people are also Texans fans. If you show up in cowboy's colors, you'll be shot and dumped into the bay. <laughs> You won't actually be, but maybe you will, so don't do it. Mm. And in the year 1900, the American Red Cross sent Pasadena 1.5 million strawberry plants after a hurricane devastated <sighs> the city me, to help man. the residents recover. And by the 1930s, the crops had flourished so much that Pasadena became the strawberry capital of the world, shipping out up to 28 carloads of strawberries every day. Oh, I got two more fun facts about Pasadena for you. One, it stinks. Pasadena stinks. There are a lot of factories and the people of the town smell the air and they say, smell that money. <laughs> okay, man. And finally, Pasadena has more than 200. You're going to love this one. All right. Has more than 200 volunteer firefighters. Oh, man. Freaking boys and 
whatever they're dressed in, their work clothes. <laughs> so if you find yourself low on hearing about how amazing someone else is, stop by Pasadena, where you're bound to run into a volunteer firefighter who will tell you all about themselves. Do you know how much shit I get in for the volunteer firefighter thing? Can I, can I make this clear? I know that they get called sometimes to wrecks and they have to pull people out of cars and that there's actual fires that they fight and all that kind of stuff. I get it. I'm just saying that when I'm at the bar and I want to hear these guys talking all the time about how they're firefighters <laughs> and they're not. You're a plumber. Yeah, those those you know, heroes. Hero. Part-time, yeah. though they may be heroes nonetheless. Once in a while. Uh, Pasadena also embraces Texas's stand-your-ground laws, which we were talking about before. <sighs> The stand-your-ground law in Texas is actually called the Castle Doctrine, and they called it the Castle Doctrine. <laughs> God, man, are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they call I, it, be, or, or the Castle Law. I just mean in general with this script. Like, I, I know I asked you, like, we need to have more robust scripts, but, man, a lot. I, you know what? I'm going to stay out of it. I'm going to let you run. Uh, you know what? Get ready, because in a couple in a couple bullet points from now, we're covering some more Shakespeare. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so they call it the castle law alluding to one's protection of their own domain or their mm. castle so the mm. castle doctrine uh permits someone to claim self-defense at trial when deadly force was used in the following circumstances they reasonably believed the deadly force was immediately necessary they had a legal right to be on the property they did not provoke the person against whom deadly force was used and was not engaged in criminal activity at the time the deadly force was used. Nowhere above does it stipulate that a person who uses deadly force in order to protect his or her home must attempt to retreat. So they don't have to retreat at right. all. It doesn't even have to be an option. Okay. In September of 2007, Texas law expanded the Te Castle Doctrine eliminating the duty to retreat. So before 2007, you kind of had a responsibility to try to get out of there. Okay. But in 07, that went out the window. So this means that the stand your ground laws didn't require a person to retreat in order to justify taking defensive position against a suspected threat. Cool. Everybody knew about this new law. Everybody in Pasadena, Texas knew about it. And Joe Horn, a resident of Pasadena, knew Great about name. it. Great name. God, yeah. ever there was a Pasadena name. Strong name. Strong yeah. name. Uh, interesting individual. We'll get into that. Okay. Apparently, though, 38-year-old Miguel Antonio de, de... Is it de Jesus? Uh, another, another strong Pasadena name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're not joking. <laughs> Uh, 38-year-old Miguel Antonio de Jesus and 30-year-old Diego Ortiz, not to be confused with Orbitz the gum, right. it's Ortiz with the T where the B in Orbitz is, but replace the B with the T. Oh my God, dude. Anyway, apparently they didn't know about the law or didn't care about it, at least when they decided to break into Joe Horn's neighbor's house. More on them after the call. Don't do but that. But let's dig into this call. That Joe Horn placed to 911 back in 2007, just a little while after they had gotten rid of this retreat part of the law. All right. So we got Miguel Antonio de Jesus breaking into something that Joe Horn doesn't want him to be breaking into. Miguel and Diego. And yeah. Diego. Not, not, this is not going to be good. All Miguel right. Antonio de Jesus was one person. Miguel Ortiz 
not orbits. Yeah. Is the other. Gotcha. I got you. You ready for me to hit play? I'm ready, man. All right, here we go. Pass day 911, what is your emergency? Uh, burglars breaking into a house next door. What's the address there, sir? 7418. Not my address, but next door, okay? Yes, sir. 7418 what, sir? Timberline Drive. Uh, I've got a shotgun. Mm -hmm. uh, do you want me to stop them? Nope, don't do that. Uh, Ain't no property worth shooting somebody over, okay? Well, they're breaking in right now. They're in their house. Mm -hmm. I'm watching them. What color is the house they're breaking into? It's uh, kind of a red brick, right next to a two-story uh, brick home, my home. All right. What's the um, guys look like, white, black, Hispanics? They're black, two of them. Two black males? What are they yeah. wearing? Uh, one's kind of a green shirt and uh, white tennis shoes and blue jeans, and both of them are in the house right now. What's the other one wearing, sir? Uh, I didn't get a look at the other one. What's your last name, sir? Horn, Joe Horn, H-O-R-N. Joe, what is your phone number, please? Uh, this is my cell phone, 713-819-9826. And you're at what address, please? I'm at 7418 Timberline. They are next door. Do you know the number next door? Uh, I don't know if it's ascending or descending. But um, hurry up, man. Catch these guys, will you? Because I ain't going to let them go. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to let them go. I'm not going to let them get away with this shit. Okay, hold on. Now, if you're standing in front of my house, okay, looking at it from the street, it'll be the left-hand house. You got that? Yes, sir. Okay. Stay on the phone with me until we get someone right over there, okay? Don't hang up. I'm not hanging up, but I'm telling you right now, I don't like this kind of stuff, man. This is ridiculous. Uh, yes, sir, it is. Broad daylight. I don't know if they're armed or not. I know they got a crowbar because that's what they broke in the windows with. Which window did they go through? Uh, the side, on the side where the gate is, I mean, you know, where the fence is, because nobody can see them. That would be the right-hand side, looking from the front. Man, this is scary. I can't believe this is happening in this neighborhood. What? This is scary. I can't believe this would happen in this neighborhood. Can you see anything at all? No, I can see where they went in the house. I can't see in the house. I understand that, but you can see where they entered in? Yes. So they might slip out the same way, or can you see the front of the house? I can't see the front. I can go out the front, but if I go out the front, I'm bringing a shotgun with me, I swear to God. Oh, no. I'm not going to let them get away with it. I can't take a chance on getting killed over this, okay? No. I'm going to shoot. I'm going to shoot. Stay inside the house and don't go out there, okay? I know you're pissed off, and I know what you're feeling, but it's not worth shooting someone over this, okay? I don't want to, but, I mean, if I go out there, you well, know, to see what the hell's going on, I mean, what parts am I going to have? No, I don't want you to go out there. I asked if you could see anything out there, if you could see. I can see a little bit of the driveway, but, see, I can't see the front. Can you see anything out in the front of the house, that, like a vehicle that came in or anything? No. Let me know if you see anything at all from where you're at. Don't go outside, okay? Stay in the house. Mr. Horn, you still there? I'm here. All right. Don't do no good. Don't let go of it. And if he goes outside, he's going to shoot him. He's very happy about it.
I'm going to tell you when I've got officers on the scene out there. Not yet you don't. No, I know. I can't see the front of the house. I can't tell if they stole something or getting away or not. That's all right. Ain't nobody home that you know of, is there? Well, over there, I I, I, I would assume, or I hope not. Okay. I mean, you know your neighbors? No, I really don't know these neighbors. I know the neighbors on the other side really well. I can assure you if it had been their house, I'd already done something. Because mm -hmm. I know them really well, not, you know. Mr. Horn? Yes. Why don't you listen to me carefully, okay? Yes. I've got officers coming out there. I don't want you to go outside that house. And I don't want you to have that gun in your hand when those officers are poking around over there. Okay? I understand that, I okay? But I have a right to protect myself, too, sir, and yes, you understand you that. Yes, and the laws have been changed in this country since September the 1st, and you know it and I know it. I, I have a right to protect myself. I'm, I'm right to and a shotgun is a legal weapon. It's not an illegal weapon. No, it's not. I'm not saying that. I'm All right. not wanting you to, you know, make Okay, he's coming out the window right now. i got to go, buddy. I'm hey, sorry, but he's coming no, out the window. Don't. Don't go out the door, Mr. Horn. Mr. Horn. God damn it, they just stole something. I'm going out the window. Don't I'm sorry. I ain't going to let them get away with this shit. They stole something. They got a bag of something. House. I'm okay. going to. Mr. Horn, do not I'm go sorry. outside the house. This ain't right, buddy. You're going to get yourself shot if you go outside that house with a gun. You want to make a bet? Okay, I'm stay in the house. They, they weren't getting away. That's all right. Property's not worth killing someone over. Okay? Damn it. Don't go out the house. Don't be shooting nobody. I know you're pissed and you're frustrated, but don't do it. They got a bag of loot. Okay. How big is the bag? They're carrying a bag a of hand... stuff. They're walking out about a hand up. Yeah. Yeah. Which way are they going? I can't. I'm going outside. I'll no, find no, out. No, I don't want you going outside, Mr. Horn. Well, here it goes, buddy. You hear the shotgun clicking and I'm going. Don't go outside. I'm going to get on your record. No, you're dead. 911 passing. Get the law over here quick. I've man. Get one of them's in the front yard over there. He's down. The other one's run down the street. Where are I had you? no charge that came in the front yard with me, man. Where I are had you? no charge. I'm a 7418 Timberline. Get somebody over here quick, man. All right, Mr. Horn, are you out there right now? No, I am inside the house. I went back in the house, man. They come right in my yard. I didn't know what the shit they was going to do. I did you them, okay? shoot somebody, Mr. Horn? Yes, I did. The Where are you here right, right now? now? I'm inside the house. You're inside 7418? Mr. Horn, put that gun down before you shoot an officer of mine. I've got several officers out there without uniforms on. I am in the front yard right now. I am put in... that gun down. There's officers out there without uniforms on. Do not shoot anybody else. Do you understand me? I understand. I've got I police understand. officers out there that I do not have I am right out of the front box. yard waving my hand right now. You, okay. got, you don't have a gun with you, do you? No, no, All no. Right. You see a uniformed officer? Okay, lay down on the ground and don't do nothing else. No. Lay down on the ground, Mr. Horn. Do what the officers tell you to do right now. Where's the gun? In the house. Where? In the chair. Oh, my gosh. Whoa. You know, okay. uh, there's a song by Kanye West, and I don't know the song, but I know a lyric, and he says, I can't say it exactly, but he goes, you know what I wish? 
I wish an N-word would. <laughs> and Joe <laughs> Horn, like, I got that vibe of the whole time. Like, I wish he would. Like, I wish like, he like would. Like, he's waiting for it to happen. Like, he wants it to happen. Yeah. Like, I don't, oh, man, there are, I have, that man frustrates me to absolutely no end. Like, that's why I brought up hubris. Yeah, yeah. You know, we'll we'll get into it. We'll get it. You know, it also reminds me of a Rage Against the Machine song uh, where the lyrics say, F you, I won't do what you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'll say this too about that operator. He couldn't have had a better operator, 911 call operator, dealing with that call with that particular man. He had the best chance of this not happening with that operator, and it still happened. He, he did. He, he, he had the, uh, the perfect dispatcher. Yep. that he could ever have. All right. So there is a super lot to unpack here, but let's, let's preface things by circling back to our first conversation about RVs. <laughs> so similar to RVs, Luna, do you know how much required training is required when you purchase a firearm? Firearm? I don't know. Firearm. <laughs> Are you drinking or am I drinking? I just hiccup to my last sentence too. You wish an Edward would. <laughs> um, no, I don't know, man. Uh, do you know how much information is required to be given to a person purchasing a firearm of where and how the purchaser could find training and instruction on the proper use of their new firearm? No. And finally, I know what you're talking about. The dentist makes money every time I get a cavity, but do you know what he still sends me home with every time I leave the dentist chair? Uh, Bill? A new toothbrush and oh. seven pamphlets on proper hygiene and brushing techniques. So now, when you look around and start identifying how many RVs there are on the road, know that about 99% of them have zero training mm -hmm. and are 100% unqualified to operate a, a rolling house that includes the technology of a spaceship down the road. Now, take that number of drivers whipping decadent dashing domiciles down the road, which is a little over 430,000 RVs in 2020 sold and multiply it by about 46 to give you the number of guns sold in the U S just in 2020. That number is 23 million. I am a gun owner and I'm telling you that I get more instruction on how to not get a cavity from my dentist mm. than I get from anyone when i purchase a firearm it's all coming around now with the rv situation. right we should have talked blows about my mind more blows my, i mean the rv with an 80 year old untrained behind the wheel that's a weapon if you ask right. me it is that is tons of glass and metal wheeling down the road yeah uh you know and he he probably has a pacemaker <laughs> uh, yeah. just like that joe horn can go and buy a, a firearm. Now, I want to bifurcate my opinion here. I have my views on, on the right to own and bear arms, blah, blah, blah. But I also am very, very frustrated by the fact that I can go and buy a firearm and have no requirement for training. Like, if you think about it, there, like, in my mind, there are two people that are motivated to go and buy firearms. There's a lot of, uh, but I'll bucket them into two. You've either got people that are familiar with firearms and for some reason want to go and acquire one, whether it's their first or their 50th. 
then you have this other camp, which is, gosh, XYZ circumstance that happened to me or happened to somebody near me or, or whatever has motivated, motivated me to consider and act upon purchasing a firearm. In both cases, the thought that either one of those people could go in and purchase a firearm and just bye, thanks for your purchase. You know, do you have your receipt? Make sure you come back for bullets. Drives me crazy because both of those people should have some something that says I either commit to, agree with, or can prove that I that I I either am am going to get training or have training in using the deadliest objects on Earth. Right, I get it, man. It's just it's just it would gum up the system, and that'd be the the antithesis of freedom. It makes me want to start another company called Gun Masters, not RV Masters. It makes me want to start one and be like, hey, gun, gun, gun shop, sell my training. <laughs> Although there, I mean, there are, that's the thing is if you look into it, if you do, if, if you're so inclined, you Google it a little bit, you'll find 10 places in your town or vicinity where you can get training, but it's not pushed. It's not encouraged. It's not required for one which, I don't know, I'm sure it gets into constitutional stuff and I don't care, I don't want to go there. Right. But just that, but just that they're, they're, like my dentist gives me stuff to prevent me having to go back to my dentist. Here's the thing you though know? too, man, is that, you know, I have little kids who can almost convince the dentist they don't have a cavity until they actually find that cavity. Same way that yeah. Joe Horn can convince that uh, gun dealer that he's a decent guy. Because I thought Joe Horn sounded like a pretty good guy up until he shot those dudes. Uh, until he cocked the shotgun and, and walked out trying to save a friggin' uh, microwave. Yeah. As a gun guy that takes this stuff seriously, it creeps me out. Which is why I also talked about hubris. A gun in the hands of someone who is untrained simply feels like power. Yeah. Training and experience in handling a gun has this humbling effect. So without training, I feel like people just fall to the whims of feeling powerful or even worse, converting the powerless feeling they had to power just by virtue of having a gun at their disposal. It brings up, you know, thoughts of, you know, all the justified reasons where a woman may have been accosted or know someone or feel threatened in an area and they go and they get a gun and that gun makes them feel right. uh, safe. Sure. That that gun should only make you feel safe when you know how to operate it. It shouldn't make you, you should not be able to just check a box that says, I bought a gun, now I feel safe. That's, holy cow, mm-hmm. that's eight-year-olds dead on the street when you miss your shot. That's That's what I see. Right. A gun shouldn't bring you peace. Knowing that you know how and when to defend yourself should bring you peace. And I really think it's only then that you begin to understand that even as a gun owner, you may never in your lifetime pull your gun. Even if you are presented with multiple scenarios where you have to defend yourself, Mm -hmm. simply pulling a gun as a measure of exacting justice is hubris. Hubris. Mm -hmm. Whether you're protected by the law or not. That's my opinion on Joe Horn. That, uh, that's what I think, I think about him. I think that's a great opinion. I think it's fact. Ugh. Okay, let's dig into this a bit, though. So, okay, the, the two guys that were robbing the place were described in the newspapers, as you can imagine, in two different ways. Mm-hmm. One newspaper described them like this. 
Police initially identified the dead man in Joe Horn's yard as 38-year-old Miguel Antonio de Jesus and 30-year-old Diego Ortiz, both residents of Houston and of Afro-Latino descent. Hmm. Pretty straightforward. Two dudes up from the big city, Latino gentlemen of full or mainly African ancestry. Cardi B is of Latino African descent, to give you an idea, okay? Okay. So these, these men were shot by a white dude named Joe. That's kind of how this, not going to say which way this description makes you feel, but the journalist definitely painted a picture, yeah. right? Okay. And another paper described them like this. Miguel de Jesus, age 38, and Diego Ortiz, age 30, were identified as deceased at the scene of the shooting. Both men were Colombians in the U.S. illegally. However, de Jesus is actually an alias of an individual named Hernando Riascos Torres. Torres and Ortiz were carrying a sack with cash and jewelry taken from the home of Joe Horn's next-door neighbor. Both had criminal convictions in Colombia and had been convicted on drug trafficking charges. Police found a Puerto Rican man's identification card on Ortiz. Torres had three identification cards from Colombia, Puerto Rico, and the Dominican Republic and been previously sent to prison for dealing cocaine. Torres had been deported already once back in 1999. So I guess without going into it, however you slice it, it's two dudes trying to make the most of their stay in America. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's all I'll uh, say. But there's one of them that seems like it's more defending Joe Horn than the other one is. Yeah, I would I would say that one, uh, I love the media, right? Because they, they know who their demographics are and they know what to say and what not to say, right? Yes, yes. You know, what I will say, I mean, the one, when you just know that they're two gentlemen from Houston of Latino African descent. Right. I understand. It becomes a white black issue. But does it, it, do, it does. Does, like, I think what you're saying though too, is that like, like one's clearly the right or the first one's the right one's the left. And they're trying to, you know, skew the way that you think about this particular uh, situation that happened. Yeah. In reality, it's just two crooks, two thieves Got shot by a guy on a lawn was like you shouldn't yeah. be influenced by where they're from or where he's from, the shooter or anything else. Yes. It's just like this is the situation. It's it's funny how they're trying to skew the way that you feel about it with the background information and the way that they're wording the, the description of the criminals and the description of the uh, perpetrator or vice versa. I think both articles are flawed in that yeah. they're both trying to make more of a case. Yes either using more than they need to or less than they should. Like if, if yes, the first one is definitely trying to make it about skin color. Yes. The second one is using stuff that would never even show up in court. Right. I mean, that was a lot of information. It's a deep yeah. dive. If those two men lived, the judge would probably throw out all of the character uh, detail right. about their past. He probably would. He'd be like, no, a jury doesn't need to know that he was deported. This is about right. the robbery. Well, the jury doesn't need to know that he was convicted of selling cocaine. This is about the robbery. So it just drives me nuts. It seemed I to wish be justifying the action of Joe Horn in the second one. Like, right. So if it was you and I, they wouldn't say like Jack Luna of 
Irish heritage. <laughs> yeah. Lived exactly. in Canada most of his life. Like they would yeah. never say anything like that. Imbibes in <laughs> alcohol daily from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every night. Drinks a lot of water before bed. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't do all that. So anyway, I, I wanted to show both of those as an interesting yeah. contrast in two ham-fisted attempts at reviewing something that really on the ticker tape is thieves question about self-defense. That's really where this should be. And then it sure. should be rolled into the court and then the court decides. So, all right, I've blathered on enough about stand your ground laws and stuff, but you know what laws would be a really useful addition to laws where you can defend yourself? Laws that determine whether or not you listened to directives from a dispatcher or police officers. Like in this mm. case, Joe decided to bound on outside yes. of his house and put himself in harm's way, despite being told several times not to. Mm -hmm. The law protected his stupid choices, but his hubris, his wielding power, and a good helping of self-righteous pride brought the deaths of two people. Doesn't matter how I feel about them being thieves or blah, 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 or however the articles want to make me feel. It could be argued that he actually caused the confrontation that caused him to feel, quote unquote, threatened and ended up compelling him to defend his life. Mm -hmm. But after all, the law is currently written, so he was protected in doing what he did. Insert SMH emoji. <laughs> Shake my head, gotcha. Yeah. I'd like to see a law that says if you go charging headfirst like Leroy Jenkins into a bad situation <laughs> against the admonition of trained professionals, that your actions could be factored into your innocence or guilt. I don't know if you caught it, but on the 911 call, he literally says like three minutes before he goes out the door, he's like, I'm going to kill him. Yes. I I'm going to kill him. That. Yeah. Like he, he was already, he was already there. Yes. Right. <clears throat> yeah. He wished an N-word would. Yeah. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm just making sure that gets in because I was wondering. I like it. it. Right. Yeah. No, it'll definitely stay in. Okay. Uh, you said it, not me. No, I didn't so, say it. I actually didn't say it. You didn't say it. So uh, Connie oh, West said it. Yes. And if he said it, then we that's can good. say it. Yeah, it's future right? president of the United works? States. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um. Oh, hey, hey Luna. Hey, man, what's going on? <laughs> I don't, do you want me to tell you an advertising joke? Mm. Sure. Okay. Marvel should use the Hulk in more of its advertising. Do you know why? Why? He's literally a giant banner. <laughs> Bruce Banner? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... So let's pay the bills. <laughs> okay. All right. We're back. Okay. So here's what happened that night. Joe saw Miguel and Diego robbing his neighbor's house. Uh, so he calls 911. We heard that. We've all heard the call. So we know Joe didn't listen to anything the dispatcher said. And it could be argued that he was looking forward to exercising the newly passed laws regarding stand your ground in Texas. Joe goes outside, makes sure that the phone is near enough so the dispatcher can hear the shotgun rack around, and then blows these two guys away. They were both shot in the back. So, yeah. in my opinion, not a clear threat to old Joe. No. No. Joe immediately starts whimpering about them approaching him and feels threatened. He didn't sound threatened even for a second until 
you know, he shot him. It's didn't, really didn't, hard to sorry, attack. Sorry, I'm, sorry I'm to, to uh, interrupt you here, but didn't he say you're going to die or something like that? Yeah, he said, you're dead. You're dead, or yeah. You're, yeah, you're dead. Boom, 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 boom. And then he actually, like the other guy got away, but he killed them both. Yeah, well, it's really hard to attack someone if you're approaching them by running away. <laughs> also, that's not how physics works. Right. So, but to be fair, both men have approached Joe at some point because both were shot while on Joe's property, albeit fleeing the barrel of Joe's shotgun. Here, here, And I don't know, no one knows, but here's, if I were Joe and I'm a bastard like Joe, mm. here's how I would walk out of the house. I'd hide that shotgun. I'd walk out like an old man. I'd be like, what's going on, you whipper? Yeah. I'm a white man that's a you know, weakened state and you are both virile young individuals. And then they're like, hubba hubba, we're coming to get you. And they come across the lawn. And then he's like, ha ha, boom. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Got a lot of cash in here. You boys need any cash. <laughs> boom. <clears throat> Don't steal my my possessions. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounded like he walked it down. They were, the only reason they were crossing his lungs, it was like a shortcut to the sidewalk where they were trying to run away. Yeah, long. either shortcut or... Or they, they thought, oh, man, this guy spotted us. We need to knock this old man out. Oh, or man, something. maybe, maybe, maybe. And they and I'm guessing if Joe's adding to his level of hubris, he's going to leave that shotgun barrel to the last second, you know, in I got gotcha. you. Yeah. You know. So it is very possible that he walked out there with a shotgun. They were coming across his lawn. They, for a moment, showed him some kind of um, threat, and he blew him away. But, but yeah. like, you keep, like, they, they were turned from him when he shot. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe the, the flash of the gun was enough, Joe. It it could have been in the air. Could have been, you know. I, <laughs> or shoot above their and, heads. And in so many of these cases, I would not be, you know, leaning so heavy one way. But Joe gave us a lot to work with before he ever pulled he the trigger. He did. So, uh, so police captain A.H. Bud Corbett, that's his name. <laughs> Bud Corbett, a spokesman, a spokesman for the Pasadena Police Department, stated that the two men ignored Mr. Horn's order to freeze. Uh, I don't recall hearing freeze. I, hear I heard you're dead. No, I didn't hear it. I heard you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. And that uh, he says that one of the suspects ran toward Horn before angling away from him probably because he saw the shotgun at the last minute and toward the street when they were shot in the back. The medical examiner's report could not even specify whether they were shot in the back due to the ballistics of the shotgun wound. Mm -hmm. The plainclothes detective did not arrest Horn. Okay. Okay. The incident touched off protests by the new Black Panther Party. That's, that's, uh, that's the name of the party. It's actually the new Black Panther Party, not the old one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing that if there's a new version of it, that they probably disagreed with some of the tenets of the old Black Panther <laughs> Party and wanted to, you know, right those wrongs. Right. Uh, and also that was accompanied by counter protests from Horn's neighbors and other supporters. So a death threat was made anonymous, anonymously to the district attorney in which the following was said. Don't worry about my name, but what you better do, you better indict Joe Horn. You better find him guilty because if you don't, somebody's going to kill him on the outside. And if he goes to prison, he's going to get killed on the inside. It's as simple as that. They waiting on him in prison. 
and we're waiting on him out on the outside. We're going to kill that mother. Mm. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you did that. Thanks. Does Joe Horn remind you of Clint Eastwood's character from Gran Torino in any way? <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Maybe he watched except that for, movie. Except for some reason oh, is I hated Joe Horn the more that went on, and I liked Clint Eastwood the more Wait Gran a Torino went on. Yeah, no, me too. When did this happen? Did this happen in 2008? Oh, seven. Oh, God, 07. because Gran Torino came out in 2008. Oh, it might have been influenced by Joe Horn, actually. I, yeah. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Hmm. Oh, Clint Eastwood, he could put together a movie in a year, I would guess. Hey, he's running out of time. He does things quick these days. Yeah. Um, okay, well, in 2008, a grand jury, also the year that Gran Torino came out. I, <laughs> it's funny. I've got it here in the script. Okay, oh, I okay. don't, but I don't. Oh. Uh, in so. 2008, a grand jury found Joe Horn not guilty. This case what? and others like it have joggled the public opinion of stand-your-ground laws, and it is constantly being tried with new legislation in Texas and through the country where other stand-your-ground laws are on the books. So get your RVs and guns while you can. No training required. <laughs> oh. Man, I, I'm actually, because I didn't know, I really honestly didn't know where the script was going, where the story went. I thought for sure the way you were, uh, setting it up that he he got busted on that he's free nothing yeah he's free yeah law protected him what boggles my mind is just that what he said on the call wasn't there there wasn't enough gravity there right to convince a jury otherwise like the man literally said i'm gonna kill him yeah and then he and then he's he clarifies to the dispatcher you know my rights it just happened in september Like he's very aware of what he can and can't do with the shotgun. And that's where the hubris I think comes in is, is like one, it's not his house. It's like, he's looking, like you said, he's looking for an opportunity to Mm -hmm. take advantage of this law. It's not even an option in his head. And then him to flip so quick and be like, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. You're not, you're really not. Because the way it goes in my head up, and I know we've gone through this now three times, but I'm seeing it very clearly, and it's and it's shock a little bit shocking that that he got away with it. Is that those guys come out of the house with their goods, they come on the property, they see him, they maybe come towards him, but then when he pulls the shotgun, they run away from him, and he just decides, oh, there's this law in place, I can sh- knock these guys off right now, and he just friggin' shoots fish in a barrel on the front. It was yeah, it was completely unnecessary for him to do so. In a way, I mean, there's a million scenarios. Yes, exactly. In a way, there's a million scenarios that uh, that I think you could play out. But one that, like, in my town, there are, like, three gas stations. And one is a place where a lot of questionable stuff happens. Two are actually closer to me, though. Uh, so I can daily make a choice to go to gas station X, get my gas, and leave. But if I were to follow Joe Horn's logic, I would arm myself with a weapon and then I would go and I would more or less loiter at the questionable gas station until somebody fronted on me. Yes. And then shoot him. Yeah. And that like that was that he set that up. He set it up because he called. He knew what was going on. He said he was going to kill him. I don't, you know. Oh, man. I mean, he he makes he makes gun owners not just look bad, but he makes them look evil. 
I think, in my opinion. Law, law supporting him or not. I just, I think that was an abuse of the law. We see it a lot though. You know, we see it in, in good and bad cases, but this is definitely one where I'm not, I'm not happy. No, I could see when they're running away and he's so amped up as he is, I really, I can understand how it happened, but that's where the criminality comes in on Joe Horn's part. That moment when they turn around, you're right. And they run away and it's like, boom, I'll do it anyways. Boom. Yes. That's where, uh, that's where surprise and, and reflex and surprise and reflex come in. Surprise. Surprise. Right. Exactly. Because he, if you're trained, you know, as soon as that back is turned, you can't, you don't pull that trigger. Mm -hmm. You are not under threat anymore. If he turns around and comes back at you, the, you know, game's back on. But if there, if that back is being shown, Mm-mm. So, and he also said, when we're talking about premeditation or, or whatever we're talking about, he said, I'm not going to let them get away with this. Yeah. Like, exactly. So, when they're turned around, they're running away, his, him saying, I'm not going to let them get away with it, that was, uh, you know, he prophesied that he brought it to, to be when he shot that gun as they were running away. He's not going to let them get away with it. My guess is this. My guess is had the cops shown up in time, like let's say they're just skittering out of the window, and the cops show up, Joe Horn seems like the kind of guy that would still have gone outside with his shotgun on the front porch talking smack, been like, would have killed you. You're lucky the cops are here. I would have blown your heads off. I just feel like that's the kind of guy Joe is. And I think it gives a bad... Yeah, this is this is a mark on a stand your ground law. This is a mark against it. And yeah. honestly, I I kind of applaud people that are looking at this now going, hey, removing a stand your ground law is super, super hard. But modifying one so that there's more nuance to the law, I I'm all for that. I don't think anybody should be able to take the law into their own hands to the extent that he did, knowing everything that he was being told. By yeah. the dispatcher. Like, the dispatcher gave him such sage advice. Oh, he was great. Nobody's was... stuff is worth dying over, you know? Mm-hmm. Man. All that being said, we'll move on to a happy ending, and we'll say something super controversial here, I guess. But I'd rather have Joe Horn as my neighbor than Miguel de Jesus or Diego Ortiz still, though. Yeah. You're probably going to lose less stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine, though, being the neighbors? You come home, and you're like, what happened? <laughs> Joe, what'd you do, Joe? You're lucky what? it wasn't. They're lucky it wasn't your house. It would have been shot at the window. And then, and then you know the side conversation is, yeah, crazy. I would have given them those stupid candle holders. Peggy, friggin' pre- Peggy's mom gave them to us, and I hate those things. <laughs> That's right. Could have collected on insurance. Joe. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Freak. Wow. What anyway, a case, man. Um, good one. Hey, I've got a quick quick question for you. Yeah. So. Guess why one of the reasons that the wife or either doesn't listen to the podcast? One of the reasons? Yeah. I don't know. She doesn't like me. <laughs> she loves you. She loves you. You're not the reason. Actually, like I tried playing an episode for her the other day to just show her how funny we are. Uh-huh. And she's like, uh, she says, I, can't, I don't even hear your accent anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where the heck your accent go? Oh, well, I love your wife. Man, she she's always dead on. She is. You lose it sometimes. She's right. You lose it sometimes. I know. When I get amped, apparently, or I get really sucked into, you know, something, mm-hmm. I 
Tyndall. But I did listen back to Crime Machine, our Crime Machine oh days. Oh my God, heavy. Boy, heavy. But I, I also attribute that to time in the States. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Crime Machine is out, by the way, for anyone to listen to. It's the yeah. podcast we uh, canceled our topic for, and then that's when the operator and I first met, and we did Crime Machine together. If you want to learn the origins of the operator, and they're still muddled there, yeah, search Crime Machine wherever you listen, and there's nine episodes, and then we do some, uh, some after shows. I think we talked about this before, but it's there. Yeah, it was heavy. The thing is, is the operator and I, when we met, People weren't really accepting of another person coming on to the, because I had a one-man podcast. Yeah. So we kind of had to, uh, you know, make a really unlikable guy who turned it to be a very (laughs) likable guy. Plus, we were idiots. I mean, who, uh, and we even said it while we were doing it. We're like, hey, let's stop doing Dark Topic. (laughs) And which is a great show and a lot of listeners. Let's stop that and hijack the audience and feed them another show (laughs) with a new character. This is bound to work. (laughs) Yeah. Well, man, we were in love. We were young and in love, you know, we were, we were, we righted our wrongs though. So yeah, it's, it's out. It's uh, available for free. It's not hidden behind a paywall or anything. And it's what I like to say in my marketing spin, a nine part, 10 part series. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah nailed it uh, but there are a bunch of after shows that we did yeah uh for for each one hey this should be interesting one second my son's calling me i'm gonna okay. just put it on speaker hey my tire just blew up come and get me i'm pot i'm i'm recording <laughs> that it blew up like yeah it's i can't ride it uh do you can you walk no, Dad, I'm all the way at the jumps. That's a that's it. Well, I'm halfway through this. Dad, halfway means that you're going to be there for four hours. Can <laughs> you can come pick me up, please? Or send we'll bang, bang out this happy ending, and we'll do it. All right, I've got. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish this part. Five minutes, and uh, we'll do a happy ending, and then uh, I'll yeah, come yeah, I'll come get you. Be- I can't be here for four hours, Dad. You're not going to be there for four hours. I'm doing one more little part, and then I'll stop, and then I'll come and get you. Dad, you know how long you talk, so I doubt it's going to be short. So I would say right now, probably the way through this wouldn't be to insult the person you're asking for help from. Dad, it's, my tire blew up in cool. the worst place. Can you? Yep. All right, I'll finish. I'll 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 stop here in a second, and then I'll come and get you, buddy. Dad, okay, just be fast, please. Okay. Okay. Bye. Oh, jeez. Oh, wow. <laughs> Disrespect, man. That kid needs. I feel whipped. That kid needs to wait four hours. Literally four. I'm just joking. All right, we'll bang out this happy ending. Let's do it. Man. Okay. Wait. So. We are only halfway through this because there's another whole case from the UK. What? So you know what I think we're going to do on the fly here? What? We're going to do our first ever part one and part two. All right, let's do it. Okay. So I will leave you with the happy ending, though. You want, yes. uh, you want yeah, me to we give all you a happy it. ending? Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do part. Actually, I've got two parts to this happy ending oh that I was God. going to do. So really I'm going to give you part overboard. one now. Yeah. 
And I'll give you part two on the next one. They both are kind of intertwined as far as their topic. Okay. Does that sound fun? That sounds fun. All right. Okay. Uh, you ready for me to hit play? Yeah, man. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Tax department, how can I help you? Yeah, I'm over here. I'm over here at Burger King right here in San Clemente. Mm-hmm. Um, no, not San Clemente. I'm sorry. Um, I live in San Clemente. I'm in Laguna Niguel, I think. That's where I'm at. Uh-huh. I'm at a drive-thru right now. Uh-huh. I, had, I ordered my food three times. They're mopping the floor inside, and I understand they're busy. They're not even busy. Okay, I've been the only car here. I asked them four different times to make me a Western barbecue burger. Okay, they keep giving me a hamburger with lettuce, tomato, and cheese, onions. And I said, I'm not leaving. Uh-huh. I want a Western burger because I just got my kids from Taekwondo. They're hungry. I'm on my way home, and I live in San Clemente. Uh-huh. Okay. She, said, she gave me another hamburger. It's wrong. I said, four times. I said, I want it. She goes, can you go out and park in front? I said, no. I want my hamburger right. So then the, the lady came to the manager. She, or whatever, whoever she is, she came up, and she said, um, she said, um, do you want your money back? And I said, no, I want my hamburger. My kids are hungry, and I have to jump on the toll freeway. I said, I am not leaving this spot. And I said, I will call the police because I want my Western burger done right. Now, is that so hard? Okay, what exactly is it you want us to do for you? I send the officer down here. I want, I want them to make me burger. right. Ma'am, we're not going to go down there and enforce your Western bacon cheeseburger. What am I supposed to do? This is, this is between you and the manager. This, we're not going to go enforce how to make a hamburger. That's, well, not, that's not a criminal issue. There's, there's, there's nothing criminal so I just there. Stand here. So I just sit here and you, you need to calmly and rationally speak to the manager and figure out what to do between you. She did come up, and I said, can I please have my Western burger? She, she said, I'm not dealing with it. She walked away. Cause, because they're mopping the floor, and it's all full of suds, and they don't want to run. They don't want to go through there. And, 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 and Ma'am, then I suggest you get your money back and go somewhere else. This, 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 is, this is not a criminal issue. We can't go out there and, and make them make you a cheeseburger the way you want it. Well, that is, that, you're supposed to be here to protect me. Well, what are we protecting you from, a wrong cheeseburger? No. Is, is this, this a, like, is this a harmful cheeseburger or something? I don't understand what you want us to do. Well, just come down here. I'm, I'm not leaving. No, ma'am, I'm not sending the deputies down there over a cheeseburger. You need to go in there and act like an adult and either get your I money back and go home. Stop acting like an adult herself. I'm sitting here in my car. I just want them to make my kid a, a, a Western burger. Now, this breakfast. is what I suggest. I suggest you get your money back from the manager and you go on your way home. Okay. Okay? okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> that was awesome. Wow. Right? Um, just like, man. how more entitled can you get? Oh, that 911 call operator couldn't have been better. But the um, fact that you you think like there's multiple multiple levels of like stupidity on on the woman's part who's called the nine one one here. You do not want the hamburger they're gonna bring out to you if they actually get it right. There's gonna be spit and semen and you know like whatever else they can put on it because you've been such a pain in the ass. You never, never talk to people the way that she's talking to people that are going to go make your food. You're be- get the money and go. Do you know what word comes to mind on this lady who she's so desperate to just win? <laughs> what? Hubris. Hubris. Sure. <laughs> she could literally get hep C from the burger she's about to consume. Yeah. yeah. Cause she thinks she's just gonna be right. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. So All right. I can't believe we're doing this, but uh, we're going to actually do a part two to cover the other case from the UK and I also have another burger-related happy ending. 
All right, perfect, man. So, Looking forward to it. That, I can't believe you had a two-parter on this anyways. That was a long episode, so it, it works out just fine. Uh, you go yeah. pick up your kid, his tire blew up, and he's dying by the side of the road. <laughs> I don't <laughs> feel like a good a, parent right now because I just, I really don't want to go get him. <laughs> you should bring him a Western hamburger. Uh, in the <laughs> Full of pee. <laughs> <laughs> just pee all over it. Why is it so salty? <laughs> just eat it. Take your hep C like a man. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, oh, I guess hugs everybody. <laughs> One eternity later. All right. Well, Sam's back home safe. And we are, uh, in true 1159 fashion, not making this into a two-parter. We just decided to make one glorious episode. I think I even announced it, Jack, on social in the last day that I was like, hey, we're doing a two-parter for the first time. Yeah. We can't even like do what we say. It's, no. you know, it's a thing. It's 1159 media. Yeah. Yeah. And I even try to stay into character by leaving the bottle I was drinking out of alone for the last three or four <laughs> days. And I just got back into it now. So you won't notice any difference in my personality. Yeah. We, Jack and break. I had to, yeah, we had to keep talking until I could tell that he was the right amount of inebriated. Exactly. And then we're like, now is the time to record Jack. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, so we get the second part that we'll put right into the first part here it's just another story that goes along with the same storyline I, I guess right yes yeah we we bounce the pond from texas to the uk which stands for united kingdom mm-hmm. if you're from there you know that if you're not from there and you don't know that i can't help you <laughs> no it's also the university of kentucky it is, yes. Um, also, I, I, I give a pass to people that don't know exactly what the UK is anymore because I can't even remember when they switched from euros back to pounds or exactly who left in Brexit and who didn't. So I no don't idea. get, I, I, won't, I won't wag my finger at you if you don't know what is left in the UK or what is part of it now or was combined or not. I don't know. The accent stayed the same, so as far as I'm concerned, nothing Wouldn't changed. Wouldn't that be weird if Brexit <laughs> happened and then suddenly there's like a whole people that like have a different accent? Like <laughs> it happened that quick, like evolutionarily. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. The protest, the protest happens with the way that they speak all the yeah. time. And cool. all the politicians are like, I can't understand them. <laughs> yeah, right. What do they want? <laughs> it's like the Tower of Babel. Everybody's language is confused. That's a Bible joke. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, moving on. All right. So, yeah, this case takes place in the UK. It is a case involving a farmer named Tony Martin on 20 August 1999, which is exactly how they say it in the UK. Mm. They don't, I, I just typed it wrong. So, Using that as an excuse. Tony Martin, a bachelor, was living alone at his farmhouse named Bleak House. Not to be confused with the book by the same name written by Chuck Dickens. Okay. Yeah, good old Chuck Dickens. (laughs) Good old Chuck. Oh, man. I can buy some of his shoes, those Chucks. Um, (laughs) Chuck Dickens' shoes, they like have a hole in the the toe and like, you know, one's different than the other and everybody feels sorry for you. A black big toe hanging out the front. (laughs) I got the Chuck Dickens. They have little candles on the ends of them. (laughs) 
Oh, man. Um, A terrible book, by the way. I, from, uh, you know, it was good probably back in the day, but have you read Bleak House? I, I have not, no. Well, I, you know, I, I, would, I don't feel sorry for you. I, I mean, good for you. I read Bleak House, <laughs> and it was... All the Dickens books aren't like this, but a lot of those books from like the 19th century, <clears throat> excuse me, are about what's going on at the time. So you can't relate to it. And Bleak House in particular was a book about like the justice system at that time. And then there's a detective story. I believe his name is Detective Bucket. And uh, man, can't relate. Because <laughs> right? he's making like kind of a um, a statement on society and the way that the justice system was being run at that time. And there's this house, Bleak House, that could get passed on to these people, but it shouldn't because of these particular reasons. And they keep on going into the justice system and all that. And it's so dry, so dry. It might have even been dry when it was written in that particular time, but reading it 100 years later or 150 years later, you're like, come on, man. No thanks. What was he going for in it? Was he Was he really trying to, you know convey a certain yeah he was he was trying to say that the justice system um relates to the social the way that people are acting socially in a particular kind of way and drawing parallels and there was all this deep deep stuff that if you're um, involved in in those systems or or were aware of them and you know uh back in back in that time you might appreciate and still find dry okay (laughs) so these days reading it I, I, I'll say this about Bleak House. It turned me on to Black House, the book by Stephen King and uh, Peter Straub, which is the second part of The, ta- the Talisman. And uh, uh, yes, I, 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 thank, I thank Bleak House for that because it was sitting right beside it on the shelf when I put it back on the shelf after reading three chapters. <laughs> I wonder I wonder in Amazon how many like returns they have. They're like, sorry, bought the wrong one, thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was Black oh, House. <laughs> it, yeah, I'll bet you that happens a lot. But you know, well, it happened to you, or it kind of led you to the other one. So, you know. can you imagine reviewing one of Charles Dickens' books on Amazon? Ah, I bet you there are like one stars. <laughs> They're like, what's this guy going? Or Shakespeare? You know, like <laughs> some some you know mouth breathers giving Shakespeare a one star. It's like giving the Bible a one star. <laughs> I know. Like he's going to, Chuck Dickens is going to turn in his grave and be a two star freaking Bleak House. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm going to check something really quick. Amazon. Yeah. Oh, they do. Oh, dude, I'm telling you. I'm please, gonna, read, I'm... please read a review of the Bible or of, of Bleak House. I think that was 1856. It was, it was mid 19th century. Okay. We're going to go with the Bible first. <laughs> we're going to go with just a standard King James edition. Uh, one second. Oh, here we go. Okay. Yep. Does it have reviews? It does. 2,187. It'd be funny if there was 2,021. All right. So we're going to the reviews. Oh, there are 3% of them are one stars. (laughs) Great novelty. (laughs) Okay. For real though. (laughs) Uh, one star, not as described, nor what I expected. Uh, who reviews see. the Bible on Amazon? Oh, here we go. <laughs> this one's great. One star review verified purchase. Typos. Christ's words. <laughs> <laughs> like, like they know what, what he actually said. And 
<laughs> okay, now we're going to go to Bleak House. Yeah. Oh, dude. Bleak House. Oh, that was fun. That's fun. Oh, man. Okay, let's see. Bleak House. Uh, oh, yeah. 2097. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is fun. This is like a whole podcast in and of itself. Oh, man. Yeah. Review an ancient text. Oh, man. Okay, I got to find <sighs> it. Bleak House. Bleak House. Bleak House. Oh, here we go. Yep, 189 reviewers, mm-hmm. 189 people willing to risk it. Oh, also similar to the Bible, 3% of them are one stars. <laughs> yeah. uh, Not with the times. Get with the times, Charles Dickens. Yeah, exactly. Racist. <laughs> Uninformed. Oh, wow, this person's confident. One star. Very much doubt this review will be posted. <laughs> yeah, or heard by the author. Oh, wait. he's no. been dead for a century. <laughs> okay, his, his his actual review is hilarious. One star. I very much doubt this review will be posted. Verified purchase. Look at the description above. Does it say illustrations? Amazon clearly has no idea of the Sale of Goods and Services Act or Trade Description Act. Oops, there are no illustrations in this book. Okay. <laughs> All right. One star because they didn't have pictures. That's oh crazy. my goodness! How can you put pictures in the Bleak House? Bleak House is like a like I think it's I, I I'd be wrong about this. It's a long book, man. Like a two thousand <laughs> page book. Oh my goodness! Oh, one more, one star from Janet. She says was terribly written, even with such subject material. <laughs> oh, come on, man. <laughs> Charles Dickens had a terribly written book. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> That's fun. Oh, it's nine hundred and twelve pages. Bleak. Oh, well, okay. Oh, well, I could see why to get a one star then with no pictures. So no got, pictures. Yeah, right? what like eighty eight pages they could have done pictures on to make it an even thousand. Okay. Come on. <sighs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was a fun tangent. Chuck yeah. Dickens. One star reviews of Chuck Dickens. <laughs> Would not Friggin recommend. Turning in his grave. <laughs> Goodness. All right. Well, okay. So back to Tony Martin. All right. Uh, he had inherited Bleak House, his farm, from his uncle in about 1980. And he said that he'd been burgled a total of 10 times, losing about 6,000 pounds worth of furniture. That's that's actually monetarily 6,000 pounds, not just a, a net weight, like All gross right. vehicle weight. I don't know how he would have known that. Oh, um, man. That's good furniture, though, if it weighs a lot, right? Yeah, heavy furniture. It could be like one really heavy credenza. But mm-hmm. no, it's, it's actually 6,000 pounds, dollars worth of gotcha. furniture. Okay, so Martin had equipped himself with an illegally held pump action 12-gauge shotgun, which he claimed to have found. Sure. Uh, Changes in legislation in 1988 now qualified pump-action shotguns with a magazine capacity of more than two shells as a firearm, requiring a valid firearm certificate. So I don't know if you know how shotguns work, but if you look at a shotgun, they're always very cylindrical looking, and there's no, like, hanging magazine off of most shotguns. That's because there's the top barrel where all the fire and danger comes out of. Yeah. And then there's a barrel below it, which you actually slide all the shotguns into. So horizontally, so they're in line with the barrel. And when you cock that big, it loads one kind of, you know, ejects, injects ones in. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so if it had more than two of those shotgun shells capacity in that bottom barrel, uh, it would be considered a firearm. Um, I don't know why it wouldn't be considered a firearm. Yeah, it's a shotgun. It's a shotgun. 
you know, one shot out of a shotgun, I call it a firearm. Anyway, um, Martin had actually had his shotgun certificate revoked in 1994 after he found the man stealing apples in his orchard and shot a hole in the back of his vehicle. <laughs> so we're kind of setting up the mood here, uh, the storyline of, does Martin have good judgment? You know, yeah. it, that begs to be, remains to be differ, differentiated mm-hmm. in the future. I think that's how that's said. Something like that. On the evening of 20 August 1999, two burglars, Brendan Fearon, age 29, and 16-year-old Fred Barris, both Irish travelers from Newark on Trent, Nottinghamshire, broke into Martin's house, shooting downwards in the dark with his shotgun loaded with birdshot. Martin shot three times toward the intruders, once when they were in the stairwell, and twice and twice more. Thrice. Thrice. He shot thrice, <laughs> once in the stairwell, and then twice more when they were trying to flee through the window of an adjacent ground floor room. Fred Barris, the 16-year-old, was hit in the back, and both thieves sustained gunshot injuries to their legs. Quick aside here. Uh, the 12-gauge shotgun is a very powerful shotgun. It's it's the one where, like on a movie, if you see mm-hmm. somebody, it just hollows out their body cavity when they get shot. That's a 12-gauge. However, inside of the shotgun, you can have a whole myriad of things. Inside the shotgun shell itself, you could pack it with a single lead slug, which is right. a big old piece of metal. So that shotgun will shoot that out of the barrel. Um, it doesn't spray, you know, like a shot little tiny BBs would. Um, so you could go all the way from a slug to BBs, which are, holy cow, that's just a cloud of death flying at you. That's why their legs got hurt probably, right? Yes. Well, he okay, so he was shooting them with bird shot, mm-hmm. which is very, very, very small BBs. Um, I would put it on the order of uh, like nerds, the right. candy. Okay, so very small, the smallest nerd you could find. So it's full of that. The reason they call it birdshot is because as a bird is flying, you want to be able to spread as much death into the air to try to catch that bird in flight, right? So these small BBs just go everywhere. Um, From an impact standpoint, they're not as deadly as uh, a a shotgun shell with larger BBs or a slug. Um, Right. But at any kind of close range, just very, also very deadly. But you have a better chance of spraying them with, you know, some hurt. Yeah, you're going to hit them with something. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely going to be wincing. Um, And not to say you can't kill somebody because they both escaped through the window, but Fred actually died at the scene. Mm. He got shot in the back. So Martin claimed that he opened fire after being woken when the intruder smashed a window. The prosecution accused him of lying in wait for the burglars and opening fire without warning from close range in retribution for previous break-ins at his home, which is kind of hard to believe that he would just be sitting there waiting for thieves who lived 60 miles away to break into his home. Right. But he he had been broken into, right? Yeah. He he did say that he'd been burgled several times in the past. So there's no indication as to how recently those other alleged burglaries actually happened. From what I saw, like this this place was kind of a bleak house. Yeah, it, it probably was would out have been there. well known. Yeah. Like the area. Yeah, and it's uh 
it, it seemed to be kind of in a wooded area. I mean, it was a farm, you know, yeah. so uh, yeah. it would take a little bit of traveling to get there. Interest. So, you know, there's a bit of a dance that's happening here because the prosecution wanted to poo-poo all of his claims of being burgled. But at the same time, they were saying that he was lying in wait because he had been consecutively burgled. So mm -hmm. it's like, you, you got to pick one. You can't have both of those be true, you know? Right. Uh, so, okay, five months later, the surviving thief, Brendan Fearon, and Darren Bark, who was age 33, and he acted as a getaway driver, both from Newark-on-Trent, admitted to conspiring to burgle Martin's farmhouse. Fearon was sentenced to 36 months in prison and Bark to 30 months in prison with an additional 12 months arising from a previous offense. Uh, Fearon, what, the other guy, the surviving guy that was burgling, uh, was released eight months later, serving far less than the two and a half years he was sentenced to. And Fred Barris, the dead youth, had already been convicted of a total of 29 offenses by the time of his death at age 16, wow. including seven convictions for theft and six for fraud. Okay. He'd been sentenced to two months in a youth offender's institution for assaulting a policeman, theft, and being drunk and disorderly. Uh, he was asking for it. it was, yeah, right? On the night he was killed, <clears throat> Barris had been just released on bail after being accused of stealing garden furniture. <laughs> yeah, his grandmother, Mary Dolan, stated, It's not fair that the <laughs> farmer got all the money and he's the one that took Fred away. <laughs> Isn't that funny logic though? Like, like there are there are some people like even the parents of criminals where you're like, you don't see the world in the right way. Like, right. she sees this as fair. Like, he got a bunch of money. There's he's saying she's saying that Tony got a bunch of money, but he's the one that took Fred away. Yeah, you know, Your son literally robbed. <laughs> Fred was trying to rob everybody that he looked at. I mean, yeah. Well, and, and on, also Mary. Fred stole garden furniture. So I'm guess I'm guessing Fred didn't like garden furniture. His grandma probably did. So <clears throat> you know, I don't know. I'm not saying she's a recipient of of ill-gotten goods, but she probably was a recipient of ill-gotten goods from time to time with a guy that had that kind of a track record. Twenty nine offenses. Yeah. Jesus. When when they took that quote from her, she was like uh, rocking on one of those outdoor <laughs> rockers, right? And it said Bleak House on the side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bleak House, and then a, a, a big crest on the back of the. Her name's Mary Dolan, and the back of it it says Grandma Judith. <laughs> <laughs> One star. More One pictures star. needed. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. Um, Who does okay, pictures so the, in Bleak House? Do? <laughs> like, come on. Need more. Uh, sorry, but just that blows me away. Illustrations in Bleak House. I, I recall that uh, the hounds of the Hound of Baskerville. Remember that book, right? Yeah, sure. yeah. Heard I remember it. there was a copy that had illustrations, and I was like, "You probably probably just shouldn't do illustrations in this book because every picture was like a night scene, and it was like <laughs> ink and pen. You know, like it was all black and like just like ghostly figures. Or it was weird. I was like, sometimes illustrations just don't work. And that's probably no. what Bleak House illustrations would have been like. Oh, right? totally. I mean, I'm okay with illustrations like with a Hardy Boys book if we're going to go yeah. a little further back. But, I mean, <laughs> you don't need them in a big-ass novel like Bleak House. 
Now, if you're if you're reading Bleak House for the illustrations, I could recommend a whole lot of other children's <laughs> books. It might it might engage you more. <laughs> we probably just lost ten <laughs> listeners who all have they're of the same ilk as the guy who wants illustrations in Bleak House. Right. Yeah, there's no way. Nobody's yeah. read Bleak House. It's alive still. <laughs> oh. And if you have, you're not really living. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, okay. So here's the clincher. The farmer, Tony Martin, on 23rd, uh, 23, <laughs> I'm, I wrote all these dates as if they came from the UK. Mm-hmm. So on 23 August 1999, was charged with the murder of Barris, the attempted murder of Farron, wounding with intent to cause injury. Isn't wounding injuring, Jack? <laughs> I think so. So can you wound without the, I guess you could wound somebody without the intent to cause injury. I don't know. Can you? I guess. I mean, like just by accidentally, I don't know. I remember when I was in a grade eight, a guy chucked a pen across the room and it dug right into a guy's head. It was like, like, you know, when you pulled the pen out of its casing, he whipped it across the room and it went into the back of his bald ass head at the front of the class. So he didn't intend that to happen, but he wounded. But uh, uh, not to split hairs, but in that case, and in every case, <clears throat> that would be an act with intent to cause injury, right? Not wounding to right. with intent. Like if you wound somebody, it's injuring them, period. It's not like there is no black and white. It's like you didn't wound them and it didn't injure them. <laughs> right. That's a, that's a funny law. Yeah. So uh, the charge was wounding with intent to cause injury uh, to Farron and possessing a firearm with intent to endanger life. Uh, okay. He was sentenced to life imprisonment with a recommended minimum term to serve of nine years, reduced to eight years by the chief justice at the time. He ended up serving three years, huh. which is longer than all of his burglars' time combined. Oh, man. Which is just, I don't know. I, I'm Because they were Irish. It's because the friggin' intruders were Irish. I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted. Yeah, you, well, you, you do bring up a fact. It could have been a factor, right? I mean, there are divisive kind of... Well, I mean, the 29 charges beforehand probably didn't help or whatever amount it was. Yeah, 29 offenses, right, by by the perpetrator. Uh, I would wager that if if that boy, the 16-year-old, hadn't died, mm-hmm. that his number of charges would pl- have played heavily into this case. And I'll bet you Tony Martin wouldn't have served, wouldn't have been, con- you know, sentenced to life for sure. Right. Because they would have played that up. They would have played up, hey, he was, he was, he was attacked by a career criminal, albeit he was 16, totally. but, you know, he was a pro at this point. Yep, and the charge is wounding without the intent to cause injury. <laughs> exactly. Well, whatever that means. Oh, man. Sometimes they just open the dictionary and start throwing words, see if they stick. Um, yeah. Okay, so I do, have a, I do have a piece. They did a documentary on Tony Martin, mm-hmm. uh, and this piece is from after he is released, several years after he is released, and they wanted to revisit his home where he actually wasn't living and it was all boarded up. Uh, But I thought it was compelling. So you ready for me to, uh, to hit play? Sure. All right. Ready. All right. Here we go. 
Christ. Now then. Oh. I wonder what's in there. I wonder what's in there. When's the last time you were in there? When I left on uh, August 20th, 1999. You've never been in the house since? No. No. Your, your house is boarded up now? Yes. But you can't live here now? I could do if I wanted to. Why don't you? I don't want to get locked up. What, what do you mean by that? Well, it's simple. If I'm in the house and somebody comes in the house, I'm going to look after myself. If you think I'm going to stand there and ask them what they do, I'm not that stupid. Well, <laughs> given everything that's happened to you, Yes. When you start to run, you'll be forever running. So you have to stand your ground. I've been very fearful for a long time in that house. And all of a sudden, the fear went. And I took my life back for a while, for a few hours. The fact that this boy died, does that weigh heavy? He wasn't a boy, he was a young man. Does it weigh heavy, though? No, no, don't even think about it. I'm, I, I obviously, basically, I sympathise for the mother saying, well, I only had one boy and now he's dead. But it's no good blaming me. When I was his age, I lived at Redmore with my grandparents. Didn't go around breaking in bloody houses 60 miles down the road. With me, it was diminished responsibility and there's nothing diminished about me. And with a burglar, well, what goes round comes round. I'll tell you what I did have, it was very interesting once to me. There was a young chap in prison, and they're all over 21, but he seemed to be more like about 18. And I, you don't ask questions, unless it's the right time. And I found out he was a burglar, breaking people's houses, and I said, um, why do you breaking people's houses. He said, well, he says, that's the way things are. And when he walked away, <laughs> I don't know what's given the game away, whether you think I'm mental or not. When he walked away, I went bang, like that. And he's <laughs> he walking away now. No, that's only my fingers, isn't it? Bang, like that. He said, well, what's all this? I said, that's how things are, boy. Okay, well, that's... That's Tony Martin. I like Tony Martin. Yeah, I, 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 um, I get frustrated at some at certain things. Like, like everybody knows what Tony went through, and you can have your opinion on whether you know Tony's actions were justified or not. Right. Um, weighing all of the evidence, I would say at some point. There's a high likelihood with a career criminal breaking into your house and stealing your stuff. If you tried to get in his way at all, you're probably going to get hurt, if not killed. Right. Um, I, it frustrates me the question that was asked of him because he was like, well, if I live here again, I'll end up shooting somebody. And the question to him was, even after everything that's happened to you, like the question assumes that 
his value set or his principles have changed because Mm -hmm. a law decided to treat him a certain way. When in reality, I'd like to see, like, it immediately makes me feel like, okay, journalist, I want to break into your house and just watch you just bear your back to me and be like, take everything, kill me. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And for us to, it's kind of irresponsible, I think, to, to pot to pose questions to somebody like that after all they've been through it just seems like you're just trying to generate a reaction oh oh and with the english media we all know this i mean with the english media they're they're all about um trying to elicit some kind of response that's going to make some kind of headline i mean with their (laughs) the way that they do news over there i mean it's not just england but i think we can all agree that in england like the the big fat headlines on their little you know magazines and Propaganda magazines are, are are a big deal. They got the Queen over there. They're they're used to trying to puff things up to to sell sell papers. Yeah, he like Tony Martin. From what I read since since uh, I started looking into this in the three days since we took that short break when your son called you right. there. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> he actually went back to Bleak House and he checks on it and all that, and it gets broken into two or three times a month. Still, apparently, there oh, was a wow. small fire that was lit in a barn uh, on the property. Here's a quote from one of the neighbors who has built up like a stockade, like a, a big fence around their property. More people have moved in since then, but they're all paranoid about the area because they know it's targeted by people from the city coming and trying to break into their homes out there. Here's a quote from one of the neighbors. Quote, as soon as it's Tony Martin, it doesn't matter. When he calls them, meaning like 999, they're not interested because it's Tony Martin. If it was someone else, it would be different altogether. It's not good enough. It was arson. They're talking about the little barn house getting lit on fire. It was burglary. Um, it goes on to say that more people live in this particular area and that Tony continues to make complaints about that property being uh, vandalized, but they never help him out because of who he is. Which is super sad because, I, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but the current state of affairs is, and the current way that we're supposed to approach things is, oh, if a crazy person calls 911, you should listen to them. Also, right. don't send the cops. Listen to them. Um, you, men- you You heard him mention on that BBC thing that he said, it was diminished capacity. That was the reason that he was actually let off early was they, they, they mocked him even more. The law said, oh, well, we're going to let you go because we feel mentally you're not fit to serve your sentence. They, they literally said, right. we think you're crazy. So it wasn't enough that he got robbed a bunch. It wasn't enough that he defended himself. It wasn't enough that all of his criminal attackers served less time than him they just it was a drubbing they just kept coming at him and now his friggin' house is like a you know knott's berry farm for criminals (laughs) he uh i have another quote for you here this is recent this is 2020 he says quote i'm not the only oddball around here this generation don't want to end up like i did so they've got this siege mentality they build fence they build fences this is tony martin country this is Britain. Ugh. So, yeah, the, the way that I see Tony Martin is, you know, he he did what he felt he needed to do at the time. Clearly, you know, it's too bad he ended up killing 
the kid who had 29 offenses and was going to continue doing this type of thing out there in the middle of nowhere to him. But um, <clears throat> these days, it's it's continuing to happen in that area. You know, it's always been my fear of moving further out into the country that you think that you're going to a safer spot, but you're actually more of a target. Like, if a car pulls up into my little space, if I did move out into the woods, I'm terrified. I didn't, I wasn't expecting you know, anybody to show up or whatever. Right. And, and if I have a gun, maybe I'm ready and I have it cocked and I'm, and I'm going to, you know, let it go, especially back then. Like nowadays we might have security cameras and all this kind of thing. But back then, I mean, you just don't know. And then when they go and they start breaking into your shit. Yeah. I I think that there definitely is. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of like people that don't live in the city don't understand the dynamics of living in the city. People that don't live in the city don't understand right. how compressed life is in the city. Like there's not a real concept of the fact that you, you're in a city, you're probably living in something between 600 and 800 square feet. It's costing as much as the sprawling farmhouse in the, in the, you know, suburbs or the, right. or, or the, the Thule's. The, the dynamic between the two, it's, it, you can't process and then when you get on a big property, like you said, you feel out there. But at the same time, when you see something foreign entering yes. your property, you do get a sense of, I wasn't expecting this. Is this good or bad? And uh, I don't know, similar to how if you're living in an apartment in New York. And I was just going to say that. And uh, yeah, Go ahead. If your doorknob starts jiggling, right. you're like, Oh, I didn't expect this. This is probably bad. Sure. So you grab whatever is at your disposal. It's the same as when you see something coming down your half mile drive and you just see the dust kicking up from a car that's coming and you know no one's supposed to be coming. Um, we're not all apple pie and hugs. You know, it's right. like I'm remote enough that if something ha if something were to happen negatively and most likely in at night. It gets your sense of defense up. I, he, I'll just repeat what I said before, though. Even with Tony Martin's case, is the best way to defend yourself is to know your laws and prepare yourself within those laws to the level that you are comfortable. The, the mistake I think that Tony Martin made was shooting willy-nilly. Once again, a not good representative of somebody owning a gun. Also, he didn't he didn't own the gun. It wasn't registered to him. Big, Fine. big, giant strikes against him. And you can't shoot somebody. He also lives in the middle of nowhere. And to have a, a shotgun out there that's unregistered isn't unusual. Like, I'm around I, people like this. They just have it for self-defense. It's it, I shouldn't talk too much about it. But, I mean, you just feel like if I'm going to need to use this, it's probably going to be a last resort type situation. Um, somebody coming into my property in the middle of the night. Like, what, what happened with what happened to him? Yes, I think, um, okay, so two examples of things that happened on my property, uh, on my horse property. I had a, I had a little outhouse, like a little uh, shed, right? Um, hadn't been in it for the winter. I went out in the spring and I, the door swings inward into the shed. I go to open the door. I can't, it's, it's like not budging. I'm pushing and pushing and it's barely giving any. And I notice that dirt is coming around the bottom, right? Yeah. And I'm like, what is going on? So I 
force force it open enough that I peek my head around and a badger has dug up from the ground and into my shed and then created his own home there. So there's this massive pile of dirt in my shed that's filling the whole floor of the shed and you can't get the door open. Um, and I was like, oh, great. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the badger in my backyard and it's literally the size of Bean Bean. I mean, it's a big old animal, right? Yep. In that case, and also... We had bunnies running all over the place. And one time we had this bunny that was like flopping, like half paralyzed in our grass and had a hoof print, like a a muddy hoof print on its head, like a a horse had accidentally backed up and caught this bunny. There are times where a a shotgun or something like that would come in handy, you know, put put the poor bunny out of its misery kind of thing, scare off a, a, a predator like a coyote or a wolf. Uh, you know, there, like you said, there, there are reasons maybe to have it. Um, well, the city, the, the city, uh, uh, obviously has like the call, like the, the judicial system and all that kind of stuff. And the people listening to the case are usually from like a, a more, a higher populated area where they're going to have the opinion because there's more people there. Right. The way that from my experience living in a city and then living out in the country where I live right now, the country people think that the city people are ignorant and dumb and don't know what's going on out here. So they could never, they shouldn't be able to enforce laws that we have to abide by because they don't understand our way of living. Right. And then the city people think that the country people are just it's the same thing. Exactly. Ignorant and all that kind of thing. But I, but I, what you, what I was going to say about the living in an apartment, I've lived in apartments in really bad neighborhoods. I never felt so safe because the criminals aren't going to come up to me because they don't, they don't have anything. <laughs> and they're the type of people who will stand up for you if somebody came up against you, if you befriend them. So I felt never felt so safe as living in a crappy apartment building selling drugs like I was at the time. I never felt so safe. Uh-huh. I move out here and suddenly I am exposed. I mean, my house is further away from my neighbors. They won't be able to hear a shot in the night or somebody pulling into or me yelling for help or anything like that. If I call 911, it takes longer for them to get there. Right. So you need to be able to protect yourself in some kind of way. So I relate to Tony Martin, like like being of the mindset that I need to protect this property and send a warning shot or even kill somebody and tell them, you know, I'm not going to put up with, put up with this type of thing. Um, yep. you, you might not behave the same way in a city, but unfortunately the city type folk are the ones who are going to judge um, Tony Martin in this situation. I'm not, I'm not saying he did the right thing. I'm just saying I can kind of understand why he would be that trigger happy in that particular situation. Well, and I, I think if you, if you look at anything where voices are heard, uh, we tend to hear the, the loudest voices are those in saturated areas. Like you look at an election, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, in like the United States, you can have all of California vote more than all of your flyover states combined, but because of the way districts are broken up and everything, um, you know, that is a very loud voice, a very opinionated voice, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, hold as much sway because of the way the laws are written. And to your point, um, yes, the very vocal, very loud majorities may be those in very highly saturated areas. And I, I, I hate the fact, we were just talking about this, that, um, that we've heard people have a negative opinion of Kent because right. Kent has an accent from the South. Right. And it, it, it instantly um, connotes a certain 
uh, level of intelligence, which is a terrible generalization, yes. right? I mean, I lived in Huntsville, Alabama, which is where friggin' NASA is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were Southern, you know, rocket scientists. And, and it was, it was weird to hear, well, you know, we're not taking into account the full force of the velocity of that parabola right mm-hmm. there in that equation. It's weird, you yeah. know, but to the, to that point, I think city dwellers look at people living in the country as simple and that Absolutely. not just simple life, but simple minded, which I think is a misstep. And one more thing on this, man, like, you know, the book by Truman Capote and cold blood. Yeah. Um, the clutter family was like, you know, blown away by these two crooks who were, who were on the run or whatever. I, f- I forget exactly what it was, uh, but that story could have been completely different if Mr. Clutter had to come out with a unregistered shotgun and blown those two away on the property. It, you know, it, it just played out in the way where these two were able to take advantage of them because they weren't expecting it out in that particular area. If I'm living at Bleak House in England and I'm seeing headlights or I'm just hearing people creep around my property two or three times a month, I might, like we were talking about earlier, you said I, I can't picture him standing there at the window. I can. I can see that being a complete paranoia of myself if I have been broken into multiple times living out in this area completely by myself and then taking action when the time came because I'm uh, become ultra paranoid and maybe a little bit uh, mentally unstable as a result of the pressure that's been put on me to think about my own safety uh, through those past burglarizations. Burgl- uh, burglarizations. Exactly. Uh, one thing that the, the <clears throat> I mean, Obviously, he's painting it a certain way as far as the picture goes, but the the city-dwelling prosecutor is talking about him lying in wait. But the difference between living in an urban apartment and living in the dead quiet of, of oh, a large so acreage, anything, you start to know when a sound means something's up and... It's just nature. But even yep. then, I mean, nature can be formidable. So yeah, lying in wait, like how much time are we talking? I mean, how many how many footsteps or branch creaks or, you know, <laughs> cracks or, or lights coming, you know, at a what seemed like a, a distance, but he knows it's on his drive yes. somewhere, you know? Like maybe, yeah, maybe lying in wait is a thing because he's got 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> to I lie, lie in wait. wait knowing it's coming. I lie in wait every night. <laughs> Yeah. I'm waiting for it. Like I, right. I, I walk around. You ask my girl. I've talked about it on a dark topic. I, I do rounds in my house three times a night. I wake up. They can only have an internal clock. Apparently, Kramer talks about it on Seinfeld. <laughs> 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 I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld lately. It's good for the soul. The yeah. <laughs> waking. I, I pop awake at two. I pop awake at four. I'm up at midnight. And I do a round around the house. I turn all the lights on. I switch up all the because I know that we're in an area that's a little. You know, it's it's on its own. And if somebody were to come by, and I've had it happen where people would knock on the door, and you, you're like, you wake up, you open it up, or I look through the window, and they're like, oh, hey, oh, sorry, wrong house. What they were doing is checking to see if somebody was home. Oh, totally. Well, and it's all relative, right? Um, we've talked about the vicinity where you live, and even the vicinity where I live, where we are bedroom communities to other communities where we potentially in our in our own communities seem like we have more than the community we're next to mm-hmm. and so we can be a target your lawnmower might go missing <laughs> it does go missing i've bought three lawnmowers man my buddy's he's got his uh, snowmobile stolen twice dead of winter 
but See? yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I feel bad for Tony. I think like the, like the gun guy in me says Tony should have, Tony could have armed himself legally, sure. armed himself in other ways to prepare himself for such an event. Or if things start happening, it's like I was talking about, you know, the, the person who is scared into purchasing a gun because an event happened to them or happened near them. And then that sense of comfort, having a gun on them, it, it, that, that shouldn't be the comfort. It should be that you did it all right, that you have peace about your ownership or whether it's a gun or a stun gun or pepper spray or a mop, whatever it is that you feel peace that you've thought through. Okay. If this, if something goes down, this is how I, I manage mm -hmm. that situation. I think Tony bought a gun, started shooting out the backs of windows of cars. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I'm going a little hard. I'm backing up Tony. All I can picture though is being in that apartment, knowing there's one entryway. The apartment I yeah. lived in didn't have a balcony. Oh, no, sorry. It did have a balcony, but like who's going to climb up a balcony? It could happen, right? But I know if I hear something at that front door that's triple locked, you know, a baseball bat's going to be enough and a shout will be, will be fine. I'll be fine in this apartment. Also, I'm surrounded by people who are, you know, tougher people and, and this, I could bang on a wall. 911's going to come a lot quicker. But I'm telling you, if you don't live in the country like me and the operator do, you really don't know the fear that happens when you hear any noise, like you were saying, in the night yeah. when you're completely exposed. It's going to take 45 minutes for a police officer to show up if you do get the 911 call in. And you you got to get down. And you got you got you to make something happen. You got to put some fear into whatever's causing you to feel fear. I had I had extreme incidents happen when I lived downtown Denver, which is a huge city. There's murders, you know. There were murders in my apartment complex right outside my front door. Mm -hmm. But there are I, I never felt as uncomfortable as I did when I was on my own land in the middle of nowhere. Like it, it, it is a different feeling. And I don't think, like you said, you know, we, we're, we're governed by the laws of the land. And sometimes the land is a little too broad where the same law applies to the saturated people in a city and those in a rural environment. And sometimes that law it's not exactly balanced for all for all demographics, you know? Right. Yeah. I know we're talking about it a lot. We'll, we'll move on to a happy ending, but I'll tell you one thing. I was looking at houses, and there was this one particular house that was on the side of a highway, and it's kind of like a desolate highway. It's called, um, well, the Highway of Heroes, they call it out here in Canada. Oh, but like, wow. it's, it's a highway where the uh, Vince Lee beheading with Tim McLean happened. Yeah. There's been people like in taxi cabs being brought out, brought out to this area and, and the taxi cab driver was murdered. Bodies dumped along the side of the highway probably by, uh, you know, this uh, this community of truckers who are picking up girls and murdering them and throwing them out their windows. <laughs> like they, they say, this is the highway. This mm. is like the crazy highway in Canada. And so it was along the highway. It's desolate. It's got its nice little property. And my... Uh, reasoning for not even looking at it was what if somebody like you know is outside the city high on the run whatever else even if they yeah. break down like they're going to come to this house we're, we're going to because between us and the next house is a couple of uh, miles a mm -hmm. few kilometers mm -hmm. we're going to be the beacon of yeah. whatever for them to come to, to check in and I don't want to be thinking about that possibility or to become a target for somebody who's rolling along that highway who's from God knows where and decides just to do a little Truman Capodian cold blood action on us. A Velisca, right? Yeah, sure. You know, just 
you're, you're, you're left to your own devices. Um, and uh, it's just important to know what those devices could or should be or can be. Um, if you want to make, I, I, say, I, tell, I tell people all the time, I say, if you, and, and I think this, I talk about it with gun ownership a lot. I say, hey, if you own a gun and you ever end up using your gun, expect to be in court. You might, you might be right. You might be innocent or you, what, justified, whatever. But you will end up in court and you'll have to plead your case. But I would say the same stands true for anything you choose to use, uh, even your own hands. If, if, you, if you apply any level of self-defense, you're going to end up having to defend yourself twice. Uh, so just be prepared. Know, know what you can do. Also, it kind of creeps me out. I, I wonder, what do you think? Do you think there's a serial killer on that highway? Oh, yeah. There's been multiple. Or more than one. Known. It's known. Like, yeah. but um, I know I know it's a little paranoid to think that, that they would just pull in there and do that. That's very rare. I mean, there was like one major book written on it. It's in Cold Blood by Truman Capote way back. I'm sure it's happened multiple times since, and just a Truman Capote didn't pick up on it and write a book about it. <laughs> but... I'm telling you, man, you live on one of those way out there prairie homes that are on the side of a highway and uh, somebody's coked up or somebody's, you know, on drugs and or they've stolen a vehicle from the city and they're out there. They, they might look at your house as the place to uh, do a re-up on funds. And and uh, at least that's 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 my mindset there. It's uh, scary. I, it's scary living I out in the country. I agree. I agree. I, I uh, it, there's a different mindset, and and it's one that can only be appreciated once you're Im, uh, embedded. If you're a country person and you move to the city, it's an eyeful. It's a it's an earful. It's a mouthful. It's it's all these things, and it's not all just oh now I know why those people are so sinful. No, no. You you learn how to operate in the environment. You learn what to appreciate and the beauty of it, and and the 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 risk. City people moving to the country, same thing. You know, it's it, it it's it's uh, it's the well, also it's the first thing you think about when you move out to to a desolate area. You, you, like you initially think, oh, my kids will be safer, I'll have more freedom, etc. Whatever you know, breathing the, the air. But when night falls, I'm telling you, all you think about is how can I protect my family if somebody decides to come onto this property? Because I know that I'm. 45 minutes away from a from a police officer yep. showing up here. And then when that threat does come, and if you have prepared yourself in a particular way, I can see what happens where you might get a little nutty uh, from the perspective of a city person where it's like, why would you, you know, shoot at somebody's back in that situation? It's like, well, I'm terrified. And I was yeah. already played the situation in my mind multiple times. My, me personally, I prepared myself mentally to not shoot somebody, but to hit them right in the face with a jar of jalapeno peppers, man. Just defend, ready to defend. Oh. Uh, it's it's interesting. I um I spent some time in Birmingham, Alabama, which is a straight up city. That is a city. Like if there's ever been a city, Birmingham's a city. You know, it's everything that a city has to offer. I had a friend when I moved away from there, you know, out to the country. I had a friend fly out and visit for a week. And the one thing that he said that he was just constantly shocked at is we would drive and suddenly a little bridge, we'd go over a canal, like a, a it's irrigation, right, out in the country. So, mm -hmm. but he's like, there's like all these like cement bottomed rivers around here. Like you guys are like making rivers. I'm like, well, they're, they're canals and they, they, they feed the farmland with the irrigation. 
but it freaked him out. He's like, man, if that were where I lived, like kids would be dying left and right. They'd just be falling in that because how do you get out of that? And it's true. Like the, the cement is smooth yes. if you got into it. And, and, you, and it probably is the same where you live, but yes. at certain increments mm. in the canal, they put rebar steps into it just in case somebody falls. But you know, he's not wrong because I think back over the last five or seven years, I think we've had three or four children die because, yeah, because of the too. canals. <laughs> no, for sure. And and many more would die if there was the population of the city, like what he's talking oh, yeah, about. If it exactly. happened where I was, but it's not happening where you're at. Like, this is happening out here. So it happens less frequently. It's less known. But yet too, where I'm at every year, yeah. somebody falls through the ice in a snowmobile or a kid goes off for a walk with the dog who's chased down a friggin' squirrel and he just falls into the water and everyone's out searching for him, never hits the regular news. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's like that, but that's that comes with the territory. Comes with the territory. City life, totally different. Uh, you, you walk out in the middle of the woods, it, it becomes a stark reminder. The nature reminds, becomes a stark reminder very quickly. Hey, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Stay out yes. here too long. <laughs> well, you know what's funny, man? I know it's going on a little bit long, but like when, so there was a particular kid who, who ended up dying in one of the, the rivers, the rivers out here. Mm-hmm. And it was right by the highway. Exactly the situation that I was talking about that I would not want to live in. Their initial thought is somebody stole the kid off the highway. Oh, somebody from the city or somebody, you know, coming through, saw the kid out there, pulled in, grabbed him and took him and went off the highway. So they were doing this large search of a kidnapping because the parents had claimed, no, there's no way he would go anywhere near the river. We keep our eye on him all the time, blah, blah, blah. And in the end, what had happened was the parents were too embarrassed to admit that they had not watched their kid for like 20 minutes and the kid had actually fallen into the river. That's the fear. That's the fear. And everyone believed it. Right, you know this kind of unmitigated phobia of, of uh, the highway is the, the murder. Um, happens all the time. Like how it happens here is kids play in water. You know, mm-hmm. farm kids play in any pool of water. Like uh, I irrigated my field, and it was you know shin deep water everywhere. My daughters are out in a, a mini pool. They're so small, they're floating in it. You know, yeah. and there's like seabirds all of a sudden, and it's weird, but. <laughs> How it happens, how, how it often happened with the canal deaths here is older siblings playing. They know not to go near the canal, but they have younger sibling trailing them. And in the course of playing and everything, there's a bit of distance. Yep. They go around the corner, something. And the youngest one would end up in the canal. And, oh, God. Uh, you know. It's the worst, man. I'll give you one more. There was a kid with a disability out here, and he had been in like a city situation, but the aunt had taken him because the family couldn't take care of him. So now he's living in this country setting. It's out where I am. And they're allowing him to walk to school by himself now because they're going to give him a little bit of freedom and all that. But there's this river there. And he had walked past, and he had seen the other kids swimming in that river. So in his mind, he's walking past it and he decides it's summer. And on the way he takes off his clothes, gets in his underwear and jumps into the river. Like the kids have been jumping into it. They mm. found him 10 days later oh, underneath a dock wrapped around like the, the polling of, of, of the dock. And, uh-huh. and initially they thought it was a kidnapping. They thought that it was just something, you know, nefarious, something that had happened that where you think it would be a kidnapping, but it was just as simple as him seeing kids doing stuff that he had never done before. He wanted to be like the rest of the kids. He'd be given a little bit of freedom and boom goes the dynamite. Uh, 
Jeez. Yeah, it's tragic. It's tragic. Uh, I mean, we're way off track. That was way we, off track. We, we want to hear but... a terrible story about a kid drowning? I got it. <laughs> I think what I think I think what uh, the the takeaway here is, I think that if there's one thing that's that's come that I've come away with from doing all of these episodes and stuff is, the more I learn about the vicissitudes of the law, the less not the less surprised I am at at the outcome oftentimes, but the more aware I am of how many different ways a case can go. You know, and, and, and I think the more we understand that, the more compassion we have for the law and the more we understand it, the more we, we respect it and it humbles us. And, and I think the same is true for our fellow beings in cities or in, in the count, in the country is it's so, it's simple minded to think that other people are simple minded because of the geographic area they live in, you know, that, that, right. Like that they don't have the dynamics that we have or the culture or the color. And, right. and you hear that too much. You hear that a lot. And you hear on both sides, you know, you hear the, the simple town folk that, that, that say they have a basic life and you know, that, that, that city life is too complex and it's ridden with the devil yeah. <laughs> or, or the opposite, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the city life is, is this vibrant thing and the mm-hmm. country life is where you go if all you care about is the Bible. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you're ignorant. You're ignorant on both sides. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes those worlds collide, yeah. and uh, you you kind of have to understand where where at least in this particular case that we were talking about the country folk were coming from. Although you know, I always hate when someone's running away and they blast on them. Oh, like I said, I, I that is you're. I think you should go to prison. Yeah, if, me too. Or you should be at least you should be sentenced to something. Because it's as black and white as somebody holding up a sign that says, you're in trouble, you're not in trouble. You know, as soon as that back is turned to you, unless they're turning around to pick up the AR off the ground. (laughs) Right. You know, you you just lost your shot. For sure. For sure. Anyway. Hey, how about a happy ending? I'll take it. Okay. I've got another one uh, having to do with burgers. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Hey, here's what's funny is in this episode, we're doing two happy endings because it was going to be a two-parter and now it's not. So you get four calls and, well, you know, four cases. (laughs) Oh, man. You have two happy endings? Yeah. Because remember we did the McDonald's one where the lady's burger wasn't done right just a couple minutes ago, according to the listeners. (laughs) Earballs. All right. Here we Go. 911, do you need fire, medical, or police? Yeah, just police. And what's the problem? Um, we're out here at McDonald's. Which McDonald's? The one on TV Highway. Okay, and we're on TV Highway. It's on 198 in TV Highway. So you're out, you're in Aloha then, right? Yeah. Okay, and what's the problem there? Um, just the lady, we ordered some food and we went home that our order wasn't in there. And my little brother is crying for his oranges and stuff. And we came back with the receipt and everything. Hey, can we have our order? We paid for it. 
And she was like, oh, no, I can't do anything about it. And she was laughing at my brother-in-law because he ordered the food and he couldn't speak English right. And she's not even showing up in the window now. She said, she told us that she was going to call the cops and nobody has showed up. And that's why I called. And she was being rude. And, you know, we wasted gas. My dad came and everybody. Let, let, I want somebody here. Let my dad say what. Uh, my dad, my dad wants a cop over here. here, so. I don't want to make a problem here. I don't put the money, you know. Okay. Okay, and I, and. Send somebody. What they needed in that case, they needed that other dispatcher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, just to tell them to shut up and move on. Yeah. It makes you wonder. I mean, if we're talking about not being descriptive in your order, and that could be potentially, or a language barrier not being, or being potentially the problem and not getting your order right. I also don't think this guy's explaining it well. Like, how do you go home with an empty bag because you said your order's not in there? <laughs> right. Like, what do, What are you going home with where you didn't notice that your whole order... Uh, if it was just an orange juice, still. Still. Yeah. Probably not <laughs> called 911 over orange juice. No. No. It's funny. <clears throat> like, you think about it historically, we were talking about the country and the city. And people from the city act like, you know, like they're more involved and all that. And sure, in a lot of ways they are. But historically, would you say that human beings in their collective memory, the hive mind, has spent more time in the country or in the city? Uh, country, 100%. <laughs> also, so, I think – oh, go, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, but the way, the way that we behave often in the city is almost a country mindset. Like it's us. Like like a country mindset is like you could deal with a person on an individual to individual basis. If I get yeah. the wrong order at the bakery, they're going to make that right because they have time for me. They right. have time to figure these things out. In the city, it's a little bit more fast-paced. So it's like, hey, shut up. Get your money back. There's more orders coming through. This person's underneath a lot of stress. You need to understand this is all about you, sir. This is not the country. This is the city. Yeah. But like our sometimes our country mindset comes to mind where when we're in these situations, if I'm going to put it that way, which apparently I am, where you're like, it is about me. It is about my individual order. I am the customer. I should mm-hmm. be respected. Here, here's something that people get wrong all the time. The customer comes first. The customer is always right. Mm-hmm. In reality, the customer is always wrong. Always wrong. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. If the, if they're saying the customer, if the customer is having to say the customer is always right, that customer is the number one wrong customer. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you even bother with that customer? They're few and far between. You don't even want any more. I love when a guy kicks kicks a guy out of his restaurant and they're like, I'm going to tell everybody I know not to come to this restaurant. Go ahead. You probably don't know anybody because you're a dick. You probably have no friends, man. Or please do. I don't want anyone like you. Like you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know? Um it's funny when you said that, you know, like, what, where have we spent more time, country or city? It, I immediately thought of the 20s. I thought of the 20s, the roaring 20s, right? All this cultural up, upheaval and, and everything. So we go from the roaring 20s, which if you think of the roaring 20s, it's, it's dancing and fashion. Like <laughs> the rich, and, yeah. Yeah, you know, or, or even like even the, the relative, people were prospering in the 20s, right? Sure. And then we roll into the 30s. You got the Depression and then World War II. 
And then if you just look at how media handles things like to show to like if media is the the watermark that says here's 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 average life or here's the ideal life the media from the 20s you know they they capitalized on the roaring 20s and how all of this culture was happening get past world war ii toward the tail end of the 40s into the 50s what does the media give you leave it to beaver yeah. Every freaking show Andy was a white picket. Yeah, it was all. So it just goes to show and cyclically, like we're very cyclical in our history. But every time we take a beating, we always end up somewhere more simple, right? Yes. We always, and when we come together and we understand each other or we go through something together, life becomes more simple because I think we, we look inward and we realize that all this all the flappers and all the lights and all the fashion and culture, that's nice, but not necessary for us to have, you know, a good society. It, it, I agree, man. Yeah. I agree. I don't know if you've been experiencing this recently where you live, but since uh, the whole COVID thing happened, like, dude, you could sell a rowboat for $1,000 these days, like a $50 <laughs> rowboat. Yeah. And like an RVs are going up in price and lumbers right. through the roof because people are people, people are not just lumber, but like people are trying to get further out into the country because they don't feel safe anymore because of what happened with COVID. And I noticed these people coming into like my town who are city type folk expecting to be like quick, 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 everything quick, quick, right. quick, like the way that it was in the city. And you people are behind the times. You got to get with us. Like, no, you need to slow down, stupid. If yeah. you want to come here, you need to slow down. Where we're from, we do have a conversation at, at, at the front desk at the um, post office. Right. You know, we do they talk about name. what's going on in their lives and our lives and all that kind of thing. Like things are slower here. Yeah. You're not going to get your donuts as quick as you got them in the city. And uh, I hope that that less people come out into <laughs> into the country, <laughs> to be honest. I hope that that slows down a little bit. But at the same time, I hope that more people start to adopt more of that country mindset um, as they start to filter out a little further from from the cities and we get like a more humble, more slowed down and and more uh, to go with the 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 stories that we covered, or at least the more more recent one that we just covered right here, mindset of like you need to not depend on society so much as depend on yourself in particular yeah. situations because that's what it's going to come down to in the end when the, when the end does come the um there was a study done in the late 90s that um, assessed people's sense of identity. And the takeaway was that the more compressed you make a people uh, geographically, the less of an individual identity they feel that they have and a more of a homogenized identity they adopt. And if you think of the extremes in this case, like uh, take uh, China, there are so many people per square mile that having an independent way of of operating is would would chafe. It, it would yes. chafe you and everyone around you. Also, you know, you've got the the culture of the the government there that it's it's we, not you. Well, but but that government that culture of that government becomes a necessity when you have that many friggin' people living in a particular place. Life becomes cheap when you have that many people living in a particular place, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really does. So you need to adopt like a society or, or sorry, a government that controls people in, in, in a higher fashion when you have more people. 
When you lose a sense of individuality, though, which is weird that we're yeah. saying this because the, the statistics show that they adopt an identity that is more homogenized. But culturally, they fight for a sense of individuality more than people that are less compressed. It's, it's, right. it's a really weird dynamic. Like if you look at the hot spots for our cultural issues or, the, you know, the hotbeds for cultural conversation, they're always urban. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, you don't hear of, you know, Duluth, Minnesota being the hotbed of uh, the latest, you know, round of acronyms that matter. Sure. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's always an urban epicenter. Yes. Uh, so it's this weird dynamic. Uh, I, I think I showed, I can't remember if I watched this video with you. There's a man, the security camera in, in China in a, in a little shop and this man pays for his goods and then just kicks over, dies on the ground, just flops over, just dies, just boom, no motion, nothing. And the security camera just continues to roll like an embarrassingly long amount of time, like 10, 15 minutes. Everybody's literally walking over this guy that no one has reached down to help him. Nobody wants to get involved. So right. this homogenized way of, of thinking is like, hey, I got to worry about me. And and they they, they lose it's weird. They they lose a sense of individuality, but adopt a sense of of I can't I can't I can't give of my. You know what I mean? No, like, I absolutely. Know you what see you it mean. on subways all the time. It's Dude, weird. It's like I don't want no, to get involved. No, I know. Well, life becomes cheap the more life there is. Like yeah. you, you have fifteen people living in your community. You're gonna know every one of those people's names. You're gonna care about those people, you know, on an individual to individual basis because you have enough time for those people. You have a billion people in a small area. It's like nobody matters. Like life just becomes cheap. I got two thousand dollars in my pocket, or I got a dollar. If I lose a dollar when I have two grand, I'm not gonna notice it. But if I have a dollar and I lose that dollar, I'm gonna be like, where the fuck is that dollar? Yeah, you know? it's true. <laughs> that dollar has a name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know the year on that dollar. Yeah. I guess on the flip side of that too, when you're living in a rural area, uh, you know everybody's name, but you also know when you don't know somebody's name, like yes. the foreign the foreign object in town, sure. you know. And I don't mean foreign person, but I just right. mean like suddenly there's this thing that you're like, I don't recognize that. And there is a sense of territoriality there, I guess, as well. So Absolutely. we're just weird animals altogether. You and I could talk forever on this, but we'll wrap it up and we'll do another episode. On, we're going to do a dark call on Patreon right now. Yes. Right. So uh, get ready for that. If you follow us over on Patreon, um, join 3,000 other people who have found the joy of the extra content that we put out. And uh, you too. It will change your life. It'll cure cancer. It'll, it'll cure cancer. Yes, absolutely. Bring you and, all uh, your dreams. Can, can I quickly run through what we got now on, on our yeah. uh, tiers there? Yeah. So at tier five, we've kind of been going all over the place. We're just trying to create new stuff, but we've, we've kind of come to a point where we're, we're, you know, really boiling it down to what we know that people want. And at tier five, you get early uh, releases of our three podcasts, Dark Topic, 911 Calls, and True Crime Kent. You also get the uncut version of 911 Calls. And then you get an additional podcast each month 
uh, of Brutal. That's myself and Kent Chungus from True Crime Kent covering some of the worst crimes in true crime history and and covering them in a way that you could never do publicly. So we're brutal in the way that we cover them and we're brutal in the cases that we choose. And then you have Dark Calls, which is, you know, just me and the operator doing basically an additional episode of 911 Calls each month. We've kind of gone back and forth on calling it Dark Calls because all of these calls are so dark, but you get you get an additional episode of 911 Calls at Tier 5 as well. And then at Tier 13, did you want to add anything to that, Al? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I, I think I we ended up, I think branded Dark Calls. Uh, dark Calls is a great name. Um, it's hard because we've got people that they just out of principle won't listen to it because they're like, I don't think I could handle it. Um, and I have to be like, Oh no. So uh, the, the brief dis- description of dark calls is some of them are horrible. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, what it comes down to is they're, they're missing something and that missing element makes it creepier. Like mm-hmm. we're missing backstory or, or the, how it ended or why this happened or whatever, you know, why a mother would do what she did or, or why, uh, why a man flips out like he does and does something. So there's, uh, I, I would say the way to describe dark calls is it's always this like lingering question mark. So the episodes aren't, we're not like trying to over gore you or anything like that. It's, uh, it's just, they, they, they leave you feeling a little less settled. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> And then at tier thirteen, uh, from Dark Topic, I, I do I try to do at least two publicly, but I, I do additional two episodes of Dark Topic on tier thirteen of Dark Topic. <coughs> Excuse yep. me. And then we we've gone back and forth on this and tried to figure it out, but now what we realize is what the audience really wants is just the three of us, myself, the operator, and Kent from True Crime Kent together doing what we call a dark meet. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to do four of those a year where the audience can be there with us. We interact with you. Um, they've been very successful. We had, I think it was like 400 people last time. We were talking to everybody as much as we could. And we we're going to try to do one of those. Like, it will be quarterly. Yeah, and we had then, 513, sorry, we had 513 people top, top out on the last dark call, uh, dark meet. It went four hours. Four and hours, it's, yeah. It's fun because we have a couple things that we do during the show, you know, uh, during that meet. We'll, we'll plan a couple things. But then we actually open mic it at some point, And, you know, we have opened the mic so that people can ask us questions and stuff like yeah. that. It's a lot of fun. And four hours, I don't know about you, Jack, but it, it flew by. I mean, it did, yeah. A lot of and people we got want, really drunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, we want to dedicate ourselves to like four of those a year. I think that's what the audience wants. It's just yeah. more interaction at that tier 13. And then the store was kind of like a, it was such a huge undertaking for you. And it kind of, you know, it took us away from like a lot of other things we were trying to do because it was just such a big undertaking. We've we've morphed that down to just, there will be additional perks, um, you know, like merch, merch drops at tier 13 on occasion. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's how we've really, you know, we, we've, we've made it very clear what we're going to be providing there and it's going to come pouring out of us, uh, starting now. Yep. Yeah. The store will still be a thing here and there. I'm, uh, I've started, the best way to put it was last time we did the store, uh, in, out of my little shop in my garage, uh, me, the wiferator and the neighborators and anybody else we could have help us produced 3,400 different items fulfilled around 1500 orders uh and for my little shop production wise it's 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 too much i can produce one shirt 
a thousand of it in a, in overnight. You know, I can I can do that. But when it's so many different items and everything, so I created a monster that I couldn't fulfill. Mm-hmm. And so the store will happen from time to time. Um, but we've we've kind of modified it so it's not core to eleven fifty nine. You know, it happens when it happens. Flash sales will happen when they happen, but we're not kind of ringing the bell, the dinner bell from eleven fifty nine, saying, "Hey, we're doing the store again." Blah blah blah. You know. It happens when it happens, and you'll still love it. And honestly, moving forward, because I've made some changes, I think you'll be happy to actually place an order and get it within, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be like a regular store. Exactly. The the way that I I see it, to explain it more more clearly than I did already, is that, you know, sometimes from other podcasts, you might get stickers in the mail once in a while or like a pin or whatever. It's not something that you would would order, but it's like a surprise, right? A mystery merch. A little gift for for being at tier thirteen. Yes, so. yeah, that's fun. We're excited about that. We we want to be able to do things like that. Show our appreciation. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, this was long. Ugh. God, I'm hammered. Kind of glad it's done. Let's do a dark call now. Okay. Sure. <laughs> okay. I'll see you in a second. And hugs, everybody. Oh, hi, Bean Bean. Oh, hi, Bean Bean. No, you. <laughs> that's your name. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hey, what's your favorite what's your favorite podcast? Do you have one? Do you want me to recommend some for you? Well there's 911 Calls Podcast with the Operator. Do you know about that one? No. Oh really? Hmm, interesting. Do you know about True Crime Kent? No. You don't? Oh. <laughs> How about Dark Topic? No. Do you know who Jack is? Yes. Oh, really? Who's Jack? He's your friend. Yes. Do you know who Kent is? Yes. Oh, you do? Who's he? Your friend. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have some catching up to do on podcasts. Yep. Yep. Should we do a podcast sometime? You and me? Yeah. Yeah? What what will we do a podcast on? Unicorns? Yes. Oh, fun. Yeah. Would we put it out for free or would we put it on Patreon? Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Say hugs, everybody. Hugs.